0: podcast is brought to you by
1: (音楽) ..
0: all you glorious bastards to a very special birthday celebration for our lord and savior quentin tarantino i'm the reverend scott k and on this his 60th birthday i've gathered together some of my favorite reservoir dogs from across the pond in the uk starting with the duo known as the podcast no one asked for, Sir Ian Harry's answer, Graham Jones, and the host of the Cajun Copula Connection podcast, the Podfather himself, Sir Petros Petzilavas. Together, we're going to do what all semi-professional podcasters do on a special like this, and that's fuck around, ask hypothetical questions, create pointless top three lists, go off on unnecessary tangents, and play some Tarantino trivia. So, welcome back, you beautiful sons of bitches, and may Tarantino be with you always. Hey. Happy birthday. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm going to do what Tarantino does, and I'm going to pilfer stuff that all of you have done on your podcast. Hope to even make it in half as good. Gentlemen, welcome back. I just recently recorded with Mr. Pet Syllabus for one of his episodes. It's been two, almost three years since we'd recorded together. That's how bad I was the first time we were on, so it took three years to get back in. <laughs> took a while. <laughs> you gentlemen didn't know that I was that shit until you had me on, so, you know, it was good. I, I hit under the radar. What has been going on, and I'll start with Petros, and then we'll work our way around. Mr. Pet Silvis, what's been going on with your podcast and recent life events that you would like to discuss?
2: Uh, the podcast has just been going from strength to strength. Just been having a lot of fun. It's been a lot of like weird episodes, kind of still chugging on with the Copelas and Nicolas Cage. Uh, recently, we just did some, I don't know, some episodes just speculating and just talking about some fun stuff around Nicolas Cage. He mentioned in an article that he wanted to do a musical. So I I, I got I got, I got, got a friend who's madly into musicals, and we talked about top six. We couldn't, we couldn't rally down to five. We did six <laughs> musicals that uh, Nicolas Cage would be perfect in the lead role as, and, or just any role in. So we've done that. Yeah, it's, uh, lots of fun stuff, lots of interviews as always. I think there's going to be some good interviews coming up later on in the year sizzle sizzle with that uh but yeah it's just been just been what it's been and yeah life life's been chugging along as per usual
0: mr jones i know you have some personal information new personal but will information. your podcast ever slide into stop talking about random bullshit and just become the midsummer podcast it's always wanted <laughs> to be
3: <laughs> absolutely not No, um there's there's too much fun with hypotheticals yeah it's it's been going well we um we've got uh we have a, a scoop coming up we're we're um quite Ooh. quite excited Well, thanks to uh the podfather himself for making the connection there we have uh what was the most recent thing um we we recorded a an episode about hypothetical dystopian kids futures that was not kids tv futures not kids futures because that's just whatever's yeah, going to happen in the next 20 years <laughs> <laughs> it's a political podcast now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh we also started doing uh we have a we have like a special pay because we're, we're into <laughs> capitalism now um we want people to pay for extra shit, so we have a uh we have a patreon and um an undrafted series where more of just the random shit, less top three lists. Oh. And yeah, I um, What have I done recently? I just got halfway to 70. Um, so that's fun. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm going to be responsible for a small child soon as well. So that'll be even more fun. Wow.
0: Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Quintina is a very nice girl's name. <laughs> Quintina Graham sounds
3: fantastic. Quintina
0: Graham Jones. <laughs> Give her your middle. Your first name is a middle name. <laughs> 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 Mr. Harry's. How goes you and the Welsh rugby team?
1: <laughs> How long
0: do we have? <laughs> These, uh, for
4: for people who are, are like to to cut a long story short, it ends with <laughs> there, there's a good chance the national rugby team goes on strike. Wow! So that's that's the level of uh, weird shit we're at now, but. Luckily, we have a podcast where I barely mention it every single (laughs) hour. (laughs) The Patreon episodes, Graham has mentioned the first 10 minutes, especially because we started it just as our fantasy football teams were getting very, very bad. The first 10, 15 minutes is just therapy on, yeah, this is awful now. (laughs) Sport is just terrible.
0: Who, uh, did either of you lose your fantasy football league? Or did you avoid being called, I forget your loser's name was, that you called them? Uh, So the, the loser in our league is the Butt Fumble. Ah oh, yes, that's right, the butt fumble. I would have said so, the butt fucker. Never mind, would have been the we, wrong one. <laughs> wrong league. So both, wrong league.
4: We both avoided the butt fucker, which is which is yes. good. Yes. Um the, the 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 butt fumble in our league this year's forfeit is they have to uh produce a calendar for everybody in the league with months <laughs> and poses chosen by everybody else, which is which is nice. But uh but yeah, I don't think did you did you win anything, Graham? Just in general? Uh, <laughs> no, unfortunately
3: not. No, Not even the first Rihanna song at the Super Bowl.
4: Yeah, I, I, I got the under on the national anthem. That is the most sporting success I've had in the better part of six months. And
0: depressingly, that is not a joke. That is just <laughs> fact. <laughs> did you bet on how little Rihanna would dance in the Super Bowl? Or did anyone have pregnant while singing at the Super Bowl? Did anyone have those? on their
3: bets. No, and I just want to dispel the rumors now that that's not the my child. I'm glad, because I, we I, mean, I was going to ask it. There was going to be a follow-up question,
0: but, you know... <laughs> So, you, neither of you lost, so neither of you had the butt fumble this season. And if you remember, we recorded prior to the start of the NFL season as ah, yes. Bastards, and we were all wrong. You had the Bills, both of you, and I picked the Bucks because I thought, ah, maybe Tom Brady's drama at the beginning of the season wouldn't <laughs> affect our team overall. And we look like a bunch of butt fumbles out there, so at least I put, that money, is I put over. money on the Colts. So. Wow, well done, Sam. <laughs> I can't figure out why the Welsh rugby team isn't doing so hot. Maybe it's the Welsh. (laughs) Folks don't do smart bets. This is 100% true. Well, at least both of your teams did do better than mine. Uh, the Ravens looked a little bit better, not by a lot. And the Vikings, well, you know. We were shit at being good. It was look, great. the Vikings are the Vikings, <laughs> all right? You can't expect them to win it when they get in the playoffs. All right, well, now that we've got that fun out of the way, I guess we'll pretend that we're talking about Tarantino stuff and not about butt-fucking butt-fumbles and other things ah, on this podcast. His, his, his name's Edge now. <laughs> Before we bring out the gimp, gentlemen, I will start once again with the podfather, Mr. Podfather, what does and has Tarantino meant to you on your cinematic watching journey?
2: Um, oh, this is a surprise question that wasn't in the preset. Yeah. Uh, this is Marvin getting to.
0: shot in the face, baby. So what's
2: he meant to me? Um, I think I, I, I think it's quite rote to say that like it's it had a major impact for me. It's like it felt like a rites of passage as a thirty-one year old. Like getting into films, it kind of felt like tarantino was massively like oh that's the one you've got to go to and then you kind of like stepped back and it's kind of you get into like the new hollywood guys and stuff like that and i say yeah and then maybe move on to like fincher and stuff like that moving forward like after after tarantino but yeah it's kind of i don't think it's uh wrong to say that he just redefined what kind of movies were in the 90s and then it's an interesting thing to be like what would the landscape of cinema be like especially in that kind of adult entertainment like mid but films that we don't really see anymore And he like he's managed to be one of the only people who's kind of stayed at the level that he is like having larger budgets to make stuff that's predominantly for an adult market since we're living in the age of like the four quadrant Get bums on seats, Ant Man, every screen in local multiplex, <laughs> kind of era. But yeah, I think I think he like and just him as like a person and a, a director has just made me want to go out and watch loads of other films and kind of delve into stuff that I wouldn't necessarily have, have checked out. Do you know what I mean? Like his 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 new podcast has been like a massive resource and kind of you know, shone a spotlight on so many like filmmakers and movies i wouldn't have even known about do you know what i mean like i re- i don't think he spoke about it on his podcast but like i recently checked out all that jazz the bob fossey movie because i think they did star 80 on video archives and i was like oh maybe i should check out some bob Fosse movies and, like, somebody in conversation had mentioned all that jazz, and I was like, oh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go on a Bob Fosse kick, and it's like, I don't think if there was, like, a Tarantino, I, I would be kind of going down those avenues. He made he made talking about movies cool, so, like, he said himself, if he, if he was if podcasts existed when he was like working at video archives maybe would have never made movies and just talked about movies all this time so so it's like he made it cool to talk about movies so maybe none of us would be doing what we're doing now without him so just kind of cinematically and personally he's probably shaped all of our lives even if we know it or not even if it's a small kind of pebble in the lake kind of yeah, the landscape of culture as a whole changed after that.
0: Well said. Don't
3: think I need the, these other two clowns to answer anything. No, <laughs> yes. um, that, that's, that's quite good. Yeah, it's got a bit too poetic for me there, Petros. Mr. Jones, <laughs> go ahead, your follow up. <laughs> ah, what's, what's he meant um, to you? Um, he he was one of the I mean so I remember seeing I think I spoke about this when we recorded before but Pulp Fiction as a movie poster on the side of the road near in like local town was uh, just something that kind of stuck in my memory and I remembered I needed to see Pulp Fiction in however many years time because I knew I wouldn't be able to watch it at five years old or whatever it was when it came out but yeah I think it definitely it was one of those films um, that really it felt like a turning point and I'd never seen anything like you know shot out of sync and and all of that kind of stuff just you'd never really but at least I hadn't at the time kind of witnessed anything like that so it really kind of gave me a bit of a hunger to kind of find more stuff that was similar to it and I think probably the first instance of me having a real um, kind of understanding of a director and a director's style because whilst I'd heard of people like Spielberg and stuff before that I never really sought out films by so-and-so or films by this guy but i saw a time that saw, i think Pulp fiction was it was the first i'd seen and ever, you know ever since then i was like well i'm gonna see a i'm gonna see everything is made and b you know what um what else is out that i haven't consumed yet? and then you know he's in only games type of person where i've gone and sort of like things like four rooms and stuff which you know critically probably not as acclaimed as his other stuff but just an opportunity to see more stuff that he's done um and then obviously like the tarantino adjacent things like natural killers and true romance and everything else and yeah i think he um he definitely kicked off kicked off a bit of a movie obsession in me and then you know some of the poetic shit about pebbles and lakes and stuff
0: Well, I will skip my stone across the lake and hope it lands over by the pebble of Mr. Ian Harris as I ask him what has Tarantino meant to you on your cinematic journey? Well, you see, the world is really a stage. No, I'm kind of like I mean what everyone said I think the the big thing with
4: uh, Tarantino for me was always it was the first time I'd watched a film that actively felt like it was made by somebody who'd seen all the kind of touch points that I had and even that that's that's growing up you know that's watching it as a teenager in the UK as well so I know obviously as a As an American, there are even more kind of culture uh, touch points in it, which we might not even necessarily get until it's pointed out. But it really kind of felt like it was the first time in a long time that it felt like there was a new voice. In cinema, rather than it just being the same like different stories, but sold in or uh, different stories, but told in a very similar way. Tarantino was the one who came up, and it's like, right. So I used to watch a load of seventies kung fu movies, and I'm now going to make this, and it just I think it kind of really spoke, and as kind of uh, Graham said as well, it was the first. The first director that I kind of came across who did seem to have kind of a unique voice that was different to everyone else. And then through Tarantino, I then discovered a lot of, you know, <laughs> he kind of opened the door to a lot of incredible stuff. And without that, I probably would not be the movie fan kind of I am now. He's definitely, I think, especially for people of... uh uh, our 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 generation at least. I think he was at the very least kind of like the stepping stone to a load of other stuff Um and without that without him would arguably not have kind of got the time of day or been discovered and also there's a very good chance Graham and I would not have been friends without a Reservoir Dogs DVD that I think we lent each other at one point. Yeah. Which is nice. That's the only reason
0: I'm here. Another Tarantinoverse connection.
2: Fucking fucking. Fucking fucking. Fucking fucking. Fucking fucking. Fucking fucking. Fucking fucking. Fucking fucking.
0: as we kick off his 60th, which is insane to think that he's 60, which makes me even older than I want to admit to. As we kick off the celebration, I have three opening guest questions, one for each of you. And I created them before, and how I decided is whoever signed on to the Zoom would get them in the order they came on. So, since Petros was the first out the gate, he gets the first question, and it is, Mr. Pet Syllabus, a hypothetical. After dropping off Marcellus Wallace's briefcase, what do you think becomes of the great Jules winfield
2: oh that's pretty easy so he goes on a bit of a wander um and he bumps into he, he tries to leave la he thinks yeah i've got these grand plans i'm gonna wander the earth like Kane and kung fu and i'm gonna do all this stuff i'm just gonna go from town to town i'm gonna have my badass motherfucker wallet and i'm just gonna be knocking about the place and gonna be doing things getting into scrapes getting into trouble but things don't work like that he uh, he actually bumps into a young film director and then ends up getting work in uh the following films. So he, he plays a piano player in Kill Bill. He does a, a voiceover in Inglorious Bastards. He plays Steven <laughs> in <laughs> Django Unchained. So yeah, he he literally becomes the actor who Tarantino is using for all of these in Tarantino verse movies. He is he is that guy. He is what what so weirdly. When uh, Odell Roby goes to watch Django Unchained, he goes, "Whoa, that guy looks just like me, an old age <laughs> And When 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 Butch and uh, Butch and his girlfriend go and watch, she's there with a pot belly, and they're watching, uh, yeah, they're watching Django and no, they're watching, uh, watching Inglorious Bastards. They're like, "Oh yeah, 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 that guy's got a cool voice," and yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. So so yeah, he becomes an actor, and he is. He plays all the roles that the, the the real life Samuel Jackson plays in all of the Tarantino movies.
0: I actually thought you were gonna say he bumps into Memphis Reigns and goes on a car stealing spree with him and gone in ninety seconds. Because they're older now and it's a little bit slower. They just can't go as fast as sixty seconds. So
2: uh, no, uh, isn't isn't uh Marcellus Wallace does that, doesn't he? He does
0: well. He he gets me leave on people's asses. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, but yes, I like that answer. That was well done, sir. That was that was uh, out of the box. Here. You're really making the podcast nobody asked for. Really, they got they're gonna have to put their Wonder Twin brains together and make this work now.
2: <laughs> that, or, have, have, have you heard the like theory that people say yes. that he he is the piano player yes. from yeah. Kill Bill? Yeah. Like, I have. So basically, he gets shot.
0: <laughs> you can see that he had, he you can tell that Petros did not listen to my Kill Bill episode cuz we did discuss that. That's fine. That's <laughs> no, fine. Cut. It's fine. It's perfectly fine, Petros. No worries. Like guy. Come on. I must Mr. Jones. It means you are number 2. You're the deuce. You're the deuce. We're dropping the deuce here. As it was. Does Nikita Bell from Kill Bill ever get her revenge? I'm Beatrix Kiddo.
3: So, this feels like a bit of a boring answer, but I'm guessing I, I have to say no because otherwise we would have got Kill Bill 3. And I know that's a really simplistic way of putting it, but I can't imagine um, it would happen and we didn't get to see it. So, no. And um, sorry, that's a really short answer. It, it
4: happened while he was writing Star Trek 4.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, wait, what happened? In space. <laughs> In, In space. space. Yeah. He hasn't mentioned what that TV he show hasn't. is yet. He
3: has not. And this this well, is very saying, true. Right? Yeah. He has not. I do think, and I know that they're kind of rumors that have been out and about anyway, so it's not particularly original, but like the talk of like Zendaya playing her in Kill Bill 3 would be fantastic. And also yes, having um, Maya Hawk as BB as well would be great. It would be a great show if he did Kill Bill
0: to finish it off as a series. Yeah. I do not think it's going to be. Law, even though I know it's Rose Zone. Just when I was at the event and he, he announced it, there was just something about the way he announced it that it was not Bounty Law. And he made sure he specified that it does not count as his 10th film. May lean a little bit more heavily towards the credence of maybe a Kill Bill, but you never know. We never know. It'll probably end up being Teletubbies Apocalypse Now <laughs> mashover from your show as we really realize that the Teletubbies are just inside a dome being kept away from cannibalistic humans. So It's fucked, man. It's fucked. But hey, guys, do you remember that time Scott
4: broke proper actual real Tarantino news and nobody thought he was believable enough to report based on
0: Yes, it? yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
0: Yep, I was there, uh, saw so, with my own eyes own well, two ears, but... Joe Blow, whoever the fuck they are, they said, "Ah, we'll wait till a professional place got it." And a day later, they did. So, fuck you, Joe Blow. Anywho, on to number three. How did Eldo Rain get his next car, Mister Ian Harris? How did the great Eldo Rain actually get a next car? So I, I know the answer, but that feels boring.
4: So I'm not going to say he was lynched while bootlegging. So I'm that is skip. the
0: rumor for sure. Yeah,
4: I'm going to skip that and say um, he. Didn't realise he didn't know how to put a tie on for a wedding, and <laughs> y- you know when you kind of get that knot slightly wrong, so you think you're undoing it, but it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. That wasn't that what the tie guy in
3: excess did. Oh, oh, yes, I said se- uh,
4: he uh, did. Uh, you know.
0: And David made, Carradine, they both say, ha- you, had the same accidents.
4: You, you could have
0: made a Tarantino uh, connection there. <laughs> this is true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the odd thing about both those incidents is that why they were watching porn at the same time as putting on these ties, I guess no one will ever know. We'll yeah. never no, understand no why know. Why they thought, you know what, I'm going to get dressed, but while I put on this tie, ah, let's put on a little porn. I mean, it's just set the mood, put on a little porn. Let's do this. I, I've, been, I've mentioned this on uh,
4: our podcast before. And this is a great start to a story, given that we just said. But this one time, my dad, <laughs> out of out of nowhere, just said, "Like you know, apparently, like people, like the autoerotic asphyxiation thing. Like you're supposed to bite down on a lemon because just as you're reaching the the point of death, you bite the lemon. The bitterness kind of gives you just enough energy burst to uh, not die." And I was like, "Cool, th- thanks, Dad. Thanks for the uh, <laughs> thanks
0: for the life tips there." But. I've remembered it and I'm still here. So, two things you can glean from that. One, his dad was thinking about auto erotic asphyxia. That's a possibility, <laughs> but he didn't want to die and save you and your family an embarrassment. Or two, he was worried that something about you and your nature Gave him the belief that you might be thinking about Autorotics fiction, and he's like, yeah. I don't want my son To die just yet, so hey, uh, Ian If, you know, by chance you know Someone who wants to strangle themselves While giving a wank, maybe put a bit of lemon In there and, uh, you know, stay around a little bit longer So yeah, so it's, it's
4: time to tell yeah. you, son, about the birds and the bees
0: Sometimes the bird
4: likes
3: to be Choked <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, because he always brings citrus uh, Fruits around whenever he pops over his arm, Doesn't he? He's, he's, yeah, he's, uh, it's like a bit of lemon <laughs>
4: Are we sure?
0: <laughs> just, just to be sure. Just to be sure. Just to be sure.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, actually, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll, for want of a better word, we will lean in all the way then. And
0: it was an autoerotic asphyxiation. It's, it's a pre-war autoerotic asphyxiation. Pre-war. The worst and most dangerous. What if, it was, what if it was an accidental one? I'll even go further. I'll push it further. Let's do this. Let's Tarantino this. What if at first he was scared about going to war and he said, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to commit suicide. But he's like, I'm not just going to go out. I'm going to, you know, do what I got to do first. Yeah. And he one slips. And he finishes, but he didn't die. And he was like... And you know, like you said, he came. He almost died, and he was like,
5: "You know maybe, what? Fuck maybe. these
0: Nazis! Let's go cut some scalps off." Maybe he was the first one, and he's the one who found. I'm out thinking. It was great. It was originally called the Rain. Yeah. You keep that way, like <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> I, I want to know how are you doing that? How are you watching porn in like 1930s? Uh, flip,
0: uh, one of the yeah. flip, flip books. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, you he did say he was from Tennessee, it. correct? Uh, yeah. Now listen. He just happened to get himself on a nice perch on a hill where maybe, or maybe not, a former Welshman lived and had a sheep farm, and you go from there. <laughs> it was live porn at that point. It wasn't a flip book. It was a little voyeurism, Ugh. and he made it rain. And there we go. Made it rain. Fuck it up. And he went on to save a whole bunch of lives and end the Nazi race. So look, sometimes you gotta you gotta shoot a few seamen to save a few people. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> That'll be on my tombstone. (laughs) All right. So now that I've dropped a semen joke, it's time to do what the boys from the the podcast Nobody Asks For does, and that's do some top three lists. I chose these just on your behalf for being on the show. I figured originally it was going to be top five. I said, no one wants to sit around and listen to the four of us tell our top five for five categories. They will have turned it off before then. I mean, where do we go from Eldorain asphyxiation jokes? So we will do needle drops. Top three needle drops, and I will allow Mister Petros to start, and then we'll switch it up. Number three, Mister Petros, give us your number three top needle drop—the song and the movie it comes from, and maybe a little bit why.
2: So my number three is "Out of Limits" by the Markets from *Pulp Fiction*, the the one that's like, mm. it's just. It's something like I, I could go for anyone in that film, but there's something about that one. And I if I am correct it's like it, it's the tail end of butchers Yes. As yeah. as
0: they're as it's they're writing the of off. Butch's
2: Technically as they're the riding linear off. Yes. end
0: of Pulp Fiction. The linear end of yeah. a Pulp fiction.
2: And I just I just always remember and I think it's on the soundtrack album as well. It's uh zed dead baby and then into that and like i was like yeah and i just something about that needle drop like I just, yeah i just i i love i love that one and as i said it could have been any they could i just kind of looked for the movies and i thought do you know what i mean somebody else is probably going to mention some of the heavy hitters from pulp fiction there's kind of and like yeah there's two <laughs> there's two songs in that that i think emerge into one and i think that they are one of the best needle drops ever done. But I don't know, I've got a, I've got a soft spot for That's this. That's a one. really
0: good one. He, you're, he's pulling off stops. He's, he dug deep. Well done. Mr. Jones, feel mm. free to follow that up with another pebble drop into your little pond there. Um, he's just raining on you. Yeah. <laughs> he's raining on you right now. My, that, is a mental, that is a mental image that is not going to
4: leave. Funny thing <laughs> is, I don't know how,
0: how we're set up on it, but he is right above Graham on my, at least in my four square that I've got. It goes uh, Petros and Graham's underneath him. So it really worked well for my visual. Nice. Um
3: I'm going to go with this was tough because when you start diving into the hole of, of the the pantheon of uh, songs that Tarantino has used. I mean, there are some absolute bangers, um, but I'm going to go with um, Stuck in the Middle of You by Steelers Will from Reservoir Dogs, because it's uh, it's a classic and it's the one song I think of any song that I cannot hear without seeing that scene in my mind's eye. Whereas there's a lot of you know, a lot of music that's been used in a lot of movies, but I don't think the association's as strong as um stuck in the middle with you and um a cop having his ear chopped off.
0: I would agree, I would agree with you, obviously Mr. Harry's you're number three. Right. So, spoiler for the rest of this episode, the downside
4: of having a duo on is the reason we work quite well as a duo is we we're quite similar so my third is stuck in the middle with you (laughs) Because, because again like it is one of those it is a film that has ruined the song you can't listen to that song now without like word for word what graham just said but like it's one of, I would argue, it's one of his most iconic needle drops, mm-hmm. but there are songs and scenes I prefer over it kind of thing. So fair. that's why it's in number three. It's not, a, it's not a comment on the quality of the scene. I just prefer the other ones.
0: I would say that your wording is a little, uh, little, you know, a little distasteful. I wouldn't say it ruined the song. I would say that that song does not have legs that's, without the scene. But that's okay. Potato, that's fair. potato. That's fair. My number three is Battle Without Honor or Humanity from Kill Bill Volume 1. Nice. When they come walking around the corner, when o comes around with her crazy 88, posse there that is one of the coolest moments i didn't think it would be a cooler moment than reservoir dogs opening but it does outdo the reservoir dogs walk as far as coolness goes they look badass she looks badass and it's a great fucking track it's just a great fucking track and every time i hear it i'm like yeah let's go walk around the corner look cool so that is my number three number two
3: we will jump to mr jones for his number two for your deuce my deuce the deuce of the deuce cat people and glorious bastards it is so good. I thought it was going good. to be your
2: number
0: 1 because no, we've had this
3: conversation. It, wow. We have had this conversation and it what it is fantastic it is one of my favorites. But there's one that I think is just uh, what we'll, we'll come to it, obviously. Um but yeah just just pips it. But um yeah Cat People and Glorious Bastards it's just so good. And it I think as I mentioned before like it's a little bit on the nose with some of the lyrics and stuff but it just works so well.
0: Mr. Harry's. Uh
3: not Cat People.
4: <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> uh so S- similar to kind of what because I don't have an original thought so similar to what kind of Petros <laughs> said of it could have been any number of songs including songs in this same section of pulp fiction but for me girl you'll be a woman soon by urge uh, urge, overkill? urge overkill yes is, yeah. that whole scene is just fucking incredible and i think that that because everyone always thinks of son of a preacher man but i think this is better and
2: yes, weird yeah. song though.
0: It was very odd, right? Yes, oh, very odd song. But, very but odd. a great, but a great song in that scene, <laughs> for sure. And yeah. if you listen to the what you hadn't, yes, because it hasn't been out yet. But those listening now would have listened to the Pulp Fiction episode we just did. And we would have talked a little bit about Urge Overkill on the Hymnal Devotional for the soundtrack. What I
4: like with Urge Overkill as well, if if someone says, "Oh, I think you'll like this band called Urge Overkill," that's not the band I would imagine it to be.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> No,
4: yes, when you you hear that, you're like, (laughs) yeah,
0: not a, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and really it's their only song that anyone really ever knows, and that's, you know, hey, they made a life out of this one. My number two is Your Gentleman's number three. It's Stuck in the Middle with You. I think it is his most iconic needle drop, but it's not my favorite. There is one more that I like better, but it is the one where that, like you said, Graham, the song and the imagery are married forever. There will never, ever be. I was trying to think of another needle drop in all of cinema where the song and the imagery are married better together, and I couldn't come up with one. Yes, we're going to get to you, sir. Yes. And now, Mr. Petro's syllabus. Please let us know your number two. Oh, okay. We're gonna well, look at him. He just wanted to play sound bites.
2: It's that. It's the uh, Ironside thing <laughs> from Kill Bill. Whenever the the bride gets angry or pissed off, it's just yeah. It's just perfect. And the fact of is it Ironside or Million Dollar Man? Yes, it's Ironside. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, and the use of like theme songs in that movie. Uh, yeah. especially like it's got the. The Green Hornet yep. theme as well, like yep. riding on the motorbike. Yeah, it's, it's, I, just, I just love that kind of use of music, especially when it gets to that drop, that bam. bam, bam. And it's like, shit's about to go down. I love it.
0: Originally, he was going to have uh, Lars Ulrich of Metallica was originally supposed to be doing the, the music for him, for that movie, and he was supposed to come up with it. I have the original screenplay, and it right has something in there that he wanted something to replicate, the Ironside. But when things fell apart with him and Lars, for whatever reasons, and the RZA jumped in, they continued and kept Ironside as it. So there's a little
3: information. Too busy sitting Napster, the bastard.
0: <laughs> All right, let's see if we can figure this out. Now we're going to our number ones. Number one. We're gonna move to Ian Harry's for his number one. So, stop me if you've heard this one before.
4: Uh, My number one is David Bowie's "Cat People." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's again like for it's weird for a song to fit a scene while also being so far removed from the scene that it
3: shouldn't. From another film, right?
4: Yeah, from another (laughs) film and. They like when I think of World War II, I don't think of David Bowie. Like it doesn't the, the it shouldn't work, but it really, really does. Um, it's an incredible song. Sure, it's a bit on the nose, but you know, I like that kind of stuff. And it's David Bowie. I'm not going to not pick
0: David Bowie when there is a chance to pick David Bowie. Well, I'm not going to pick David Bowie and there's a chance to pick David Bowie. I'm going to pick Son of a Preacher Man because ever since the moment I heard it the very first time in the theater, I'd never heard the song before in my life, but it is the moment that I absolutely love every time it comes up in Pulp Fiction. I'm so excited when he gets to the door, reads note, and opens the door and we get the, and I'm in, I'm in for the rest of the way. Love the fucking song by Dusty Springfield. Absolute love, Son of a Preacher. Which is why it's my number one of his needle drops, Mister Pat Silvis. You got another music cue for us?
2: No, I was just going to say I was. Gonna remember an amazing like anecdote from Simon Pegg and Nick Frost about first time they watched Pulp Fiction. Is Nick Frost heard "Son of a Preacher Man"? He's like whoa why cypress hill in this movie because obviously it's from the bong that was like kind of like reference point for that for that song which i thought is is amazing to like in in that kind of way that yeah tarantino was like sampling movies and his things that obviously a stoner is gonna go whoa it's from the bong man
0: your number one, Mr. Best
2: Oh, my number one is Trinity Titole from Django Unchained. the The final song on the soundtrack that's got that amazing like whistling in it. I, I know there's a lot of good whistling <laughs> cause some throughout throughout Tarantino's movies. There's some amazing whistling. There's one on Inglorious Bastards called like um, Il uh, Merchand so that's like amazing kind of use of whistling. That kind of I, I'm not very good at <laughs> whistling, but, um, but yeah, this one. I, I was hoping like, he was going to pull you in for the 10th something... album
0: and put you on as the whistler, but I guess not. I'll
2: get better at whistling, <laughs> I promise. There's just something about it. There's, obviously, for the film that it's, yeah that it originally scored, it would have been like a character song. And something we don't really get that much anymore. And yeah. like, do you know what I mean? It's like the one, when he's coming around, <laughs> boy. It's just got this real, like da, 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 it's got, it's like real good swagger to it. And like I just, I don't know. Whenever I hear it, I just I sometimes just put it on, like strut up the streets, <laughs> and like it kind of, it kind of you walk out the cinema with like a, pe- a bit of pep in your step when you watch that movie it kind of I think it's a perfect like ending for that movie I just love oh yeah just I just I just love the song and I just the kind of the carnage that has come before it all of a sudden it's like it's fun and like jovial when you put this song at the end it's kind of yeah that's kind of what we needed after watching Django like
0: murder
3: <laughs>
2: Basically <laughs> everyone in his sights. Mr. Jones,
0: close us out with your number one from The Needle Drops.
3: So I went with um, Stuck in with You because it is so closely linked to a scene. This one, I think, is so closely linked to... The movie, and I don't think you can hear this song without thinking of the film. And that is, and I'm going to mispronounce it, but Mercilou by Dick Dale and the Deltones, which is the, no,
4: the Black of... Eyed Peas,
3: <laughs> Mr. <Lou. laughs> but the uh, yeah, the opening to uh, to Pulp Fiction, right, just after the um, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin scene. And it just, I mean, it is the very definition of a needle drop, right, because it just comes yeah. in and it punches you in the face and you know you're in for a good time. So, um, yeah, I just think it's brilliant.
4: Love all the answers. Also a touch point in our early formative years of our friendship growing, because we used to watch a video of a guy playing it with an egg
1: whisk. Oh um, yeah. And
4: yeah, <laughs> like I'm fairly sure that was the first proper co- one of the first proper conversations we had. It was like, I'm assuming you've seen this video, right? It's like you've I seen it have not this seen. Guy?
3: <laughs> let's, let's try and do this. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen
4: someone put
2: pre- with a fire breaker as well. That was uh,
3: later in our friendship.
1: I fall off my chair
0: This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I'm excited to hear, what we've picked. We're going to do our three favorite quotes from the Tarantino-verse. Mr. Jones, since you are below Mr. Petros, he started the last one. You'll start this one off. Your number three quote from the Tarantino-verse.
3: Number three. It's a really simple one, but I think it's a really quite quite cool and effective one, and it is Mr. Django from Django Unchained, and it's just the, uh, the D is silent i think it's just delivered so well and just asserts a level of dominance yeah it's such a good film and i realized going through this i didn't have enough django in so um i I made a point of the of bringing this in so yeah the d is silent doesn't he say that line to the guy who played django
0: yes Yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: Because then his reply is, I know. He
0: goes, what's your name? He goes, Django. He goes, how's that spelled? And he spells it for him. Yeah. And he goes, the D is silent. He goes, I know. Yeah. But he also tells <laughs> Billy Crass at the same time. And he goes, the Django, you son of a bitch. And he shoots him dead. he goes, the D is silent, Hill, Billy.
4: <laughs> There's a TV series coming out of um, uh,
0: Django remake.
1: Really? Yeah. Mm. Not, 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 the... not of mm. Unchained
3: fame, but... Uh, Django and Zorro comics were quite good.
0: Interesting. Yeah. We shall see if that... Goes tits up, as you say, or if it's good. (laughs) But tits up would be a good thing. That's what I've said. There are two phrases I don't like. The one phrase is, have your cake and eat it too. Who gives you cake and tells you you can't eat it? That's a fucking asshole. That's what that is. You punch him in the face. And whenever you can get anything, tits anywhere, it's a good thing. I've never once been told, hey, see that? The tits are up. I'm like, I know. That's not the only (laughs) thing up. I believe we are now on to... Mr. Harry's. What is your number three? Uh, so this this the, the quotes were tough because there is a very.
4: sometimes there is a very fine line between quote and scene, right? Fair. <laughs> so some of the some of these I have made kind of the distinction with, but my third is from Kill Bill, and it is those of you lucky enough to have your lives, take them with you. However, leave the limbs you've lost, they belong to me now. Because that is fucking badass. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'll take no further questions. Obviously, (laughs) Kill Bill, the bride. Everyone knows that. But it was also done, that is the translation. I believe the quote was actually delivered in Japanese, and that is not something I have the ability to
0: do.
3: Fucking (laughs) part-timer.
0: No further questions, Your Honor. We didn't ask you any. My number three comes from Jackie Brown from Mr. Ordell Roby. AK-47, the very best there is. When you absolutely positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. That's one of the baddest things ever. I absolutely love that. That should be, if you're selling a call, that is your marketing campaign. When you absolutely, it should be on the box, or in whatever language, and you absolutely positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes, and you hand them the, the gun. So that's my number thrice. Mr. Petsilvis, I look forward to hearing your third.
2: My third is five long years. He wore a watch <laughs> up his ass.
0: Yes, Mr. Uh, Mister. Uh, Harry's uh, and I had a great discussion on this. <laughs> he wore it. <laughs> then died of dysentery <laughs> from the watch. <laughs> it gets so missed. Oh, that'll move to Mr. Harry's giving us his number two. Number two.
4: Uh, Number two, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, but stop me if you've heard this before. uh, AK47, the very best there is when you absolutely, (laughs) positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room except no substitutes. It's a great line from a very, I think, underappreciated film that does seem to be getting a lot more kind of recognition and love now. But it's just great. And Samuel Jackson's delivery of it is very Samuel Jackson, which is just kind of what you want. But yeah, it's just fucking brilliant. It's one of my I think it's one of the go to it's it's weird. It's, I think it's kind of a go to Tarantino quote, but people don't necessarily remember where it's even from or, or the context of where it's from.
0: So, <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah, now, you know, I'm sure we'll have an American president someday. That'll be his inaugural oh, speech. Yeah. <laughs> Holding the AK above his head. <laughs> oh, I look for, forward to those coming days. Great. My second was written by Mr. Tarantino. It's performed by Mr. Seth Gecko. It's from From Dusk Till Dawn. Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. At the end of that film. That line always makes me laugh. Delivered brilliantly by George Clooney. With the great Cheech Marin looking on wondering. What are they, psychos? (laughs) No, they're vampires. Uh, It makes me chuckle now even thinking about it. Cheech Marin. I almost went with the. If you can find pussy, oh, you know I don't want to ruin for somebody. Maybe someone did the pussy speech, so I'll I'll move on to Mr. <laughs> Petros in case someone here has the pussy speech.
2: Uh, my second one is nice and quick. It's that's something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just it's just it's just super fun. I remember seeing that in the trailer and being like, I really want to watch this movie. It seems deranged and crazy and fun. And uh yeah, that 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 line kind of sums up. How deranged, crazy, and fun that movie is,
0: Mister Jones.
3: Uh, this is not not kind of one that you you see too much in like the top list, but I love it. It's towards the end of Pulp Fiction, and it is Mister Jules Winfield, um, where he's trying to talk Yolanda down. It's like nobody's going to hurt anybody. We're going to be like three little Fonzies here. And what's Fonzie like? <laughs> Come on, Yolanda. What's Fonzie like?
0: It's cool. <laughs> He's cool.
3: <laughs> it's just so well done. I mean, if you're going to defuse a situation, it's, it's the perfect way to do it.
0: Especially when you tell, tell that bitch be cool. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> if you have a gun pointed at either of your face, you're out with your
0: significant other, and the man pointing the gun at your face tells you to tell your girl to bitch be cool, are you saying bitch be
3: cool? Without, especially if it's uh, Samuel Jackson. <laughs> I'll do whatever that man tells me to do. I'd do it if they were just offering me a fork. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I guess that leads
0: us to our number one Number one And my number one is uh, Petros's number three, but I will give the full context as it's the best The way your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright He'd be damned if any slope's gonna put their greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright, so he hid it in the one place he knew he could hide something His ass. Five long years he wore this watch up his ass, then when he died of dysentery he gave me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable piece of metal up my ass for two years Then after seven years, I was sent them to my family And now little man I give the watch to you Mr. Captain Coons pulp fiction may he rest in peace
4: For a minute there I thought I thought Christopher Walken had died and I'd missed it No Mr.
2: Coons <laughs> is dead. Don't, don't do that Captain Captain Coons is dead <laughs> No
0: Captain Coons is dead Mr. Pet you your number 1
2: Mine is the speech that Lee gives to Elliot before throwing hot tea on him. Ooh, so it Oh so it's it's the delivery as well when he's like uh Take your fucking sad card about it, you little cocksucker. I treated you like a son. You stabbed me in the heart. It's just so fucking good. I absolutely love it. Yeah, the whole thing. And just like the, direct, it's, 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 it's the ultimate overacting in a movie, but it's fantastic, right? It's a Judas-Jesus
0: moment, except Jesus didn't turn the other cheek and take the kiss. Jesus was fucking pissed off that he'd been Judas. Well,
2: you got like a coked up Saul Rubenek as well, just kind of going fucking crazy with it. And it's like uh, amazing. Yeah, that whole speech, uh, I I just did a snippet of it, but like... uh, yeah, that that whole kind of when he realises, it, it's like, how did I know your name? And like <laughs> he just kind of like goes into
3: it. It's just, it's fucking like, it's amazing. Yeah.
2: It's from true romance.
0: Mr. Jones,
3: you number one. Uh I'm going back to Mr. Winfield again, and it's it's probably the most obvious one, but Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen, it's just brilliant. It's so well delivered and as a follow-up to it, the uh, when he's kind of having his um, come-to-Jesus moment, and he's like, I've been saying that shit for years, and if you ever heard it, meant your ass. And the really question it meant. I thought it was just a cold-blooded thing to say to a motherfucker before you cu- popped a cap in his ass. Which is, <laughs> like, having a great quote to explain the great quote is just, um, yeah, <laughs> layers upon layers of
0: awesomeness. And Mr. Harris, last but not least, your number one. So mine. So obviously,
4: recording with four people, I've been phasing in and out. So I don't know if this has been mentioned. But five <laughs> long years, he wore this watch up his head, <laughs> <laughs> and when he died of dysentery, he gave me the watch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I started it uh, post racial racial slur, and mm. then extended it longer than Petros did. So we all have, <laughs> that that quote has been in various starting points and end points. In, in- <laughs> But it's just so fun. And this was kind of the one of it could be it could count as one of the scenes. It's that like, yes, yes. the full out of it. It's just basically that entire scene written down. It's the benefit of a monologue. I was just
3: going to say, depending on how you read it, the fact that um, that Butch will do anything for this watch, you know, could be because it's. Been up someone's arse or two people's asses. Uh, it might not even be the father; he just might have a you know an anal watch fetish. And and if he kept it up there, he would not left you it did. by
4: his uh, bed. So this is yes. true. Yeah, if he, was, you know. was we did have this conversation. It if it was ass. so
0: important to you, why did you not bring it with you at the boxing? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. goes in the gym bag. Uh, Whatever, we won't get into that. I think it's also Christopher Walken's delivery. If it's yeah. not Walken oh, doing yeah. it, it just isn't oh, working. Yeah. It just—I don't think anyone else pulls it off as good. Just they don't pull that scene off as well. Just his delivery, his pantameter, yeah. and even just when he quiets down, the moment he raises his voice, all of it. It's fantastic. This
5: watch was on your daddy's wrist when he was shot down on at Hanoi. He was captured, put in a Vietnamese prison camp. He knew that if the gooks ever saw the watch, it'd be confiscated, taken away. The way your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright. He'd be damned if any slope's gonna put the greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright, so he hid it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch, up his ass. Then he died of dysentery, he'd give me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass, two years. Then, after seven years, I was sent home to my family now,
0: Little man, I give the watch to you. That'll move us along to our top three list of deaths in the Tarantino University. Top three deaths. Now, I chose my three based on surprising deaths. Your choices can be on any way you decided, but I was just prefacing how mine were chosen. But Mr. Harry's, I do believe you are in charge of our number three. Number three. Yeah, you said that, and I've realised I've just picked my
4: favourite deaths, and that makes me seem like a fucking psychopath. But it's alright. <laughs> You're
0: hiding watches up your ass because it isn't there.
4: Yeah, we're we're all, we're all friends here. I'm not gonna lie. When you when you quoted from Dustal Dawn, I suddenly thought, you know what? There's a lot of good deaths in from Dustal Dawn, isn't there? <laughs> I, I I could I might slide one of these out of my list and replace it with a vampire exploding. But for me, I think it's a confirmed but not completed death.
0: But Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Yes, his death is going to be horrific. Yes, it's just it, blowtorch it, it, and pliers. Oh, he's already lost his genitalia. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be, be horrific. Good. But it, it's just the puff. It is the
4: it. it. Ends up with the perfect line of the great end of like kind of one of the iconic scenes. And it's just great. And also, like, you know, I, I feel like a line delivered by Bruce Willis, I feel like we have to kind of throw in there a bit, obviously, given kind of the, the recent news and everything like that. So, uh, in honor of Bruce Willis, Zed's dead.
0: <laughs> it's not mostly a baby, it's chopper. <laughs> My third favorite death is poor Melanie because she is just after Lewis's balls. Is it here, Lewis? Huh, Lewis? We've all been with a female who has just got her goat. Jim <laughs> just turned around and pausing. Look, just just don't say another word. Like he gave her the warning, and then she did it one more time. And then I remember being in the theater and him shooting her, and being like, "Holy shit!" He just shot in a mall parking lot. I did not see that fucking coming. So for me, poor Melanie. Melanie being shot in the lower regions in a mall parking lot in America It's not a good way to go. So rest in peace, Melanie. Mister Petros, your third. Favorite death.
2: Well, it's it's so hard sometimes. Again, like Ian was saying, with some of the like quotes, just not to get like a whole scene in there because like so like some of it there are like massacres within, sort of <laughs> or just like kind of like multiple deaths that kind of roll into one. And this one could be, but I thought I thought particularly. Just I'll focus on one person in this. And yeah, it's similar with my my top quote with uh the Saul ruben like Saul Rubinek throwing the tea over Elliot. Um, it's Elliot's death getting the hot coffee or tea or just hot water thrown on him, and then just getting like mowed down by like the ultimate Mexican standoff in this like hotel <laughs> suite, whilst like this kind of like everyone's just like plowing bullets into each other and just the furniture's getting absolutely fucked and there's this poor guy in the middle like just kind uh, of getting it from every angle and yeah uh Bronson Pinot in that film is hilarious and it's such a such a sad ending but kind of just for such a fucking weasel that he is so yeah I'll have, have Elliot's death in True Romance. like that one
0: like that a lot. Mr. Jones
3: round out our number threes this is a well, it's a death but it's many deaths and it is uh the the entire third reich in the cinema <laughs> in inglorious bastards it's it's brilliant like you've got the whole kind of obviously melina ron has has popped her clogs but she's still getting her uh still getting her own back and then you've got i, I forget it's um eli roth's character and i forget the name of the donny, other donny donowitz and, and Don- dominic de yeah just <laughs> while he, with the machine guns off the uh, it's completely unnecessary right These Everyone's burning to death They're exploding and then they're just like Fucking laying into them with all of the lead That they've got and it's brilliant No it's necessary <laughs> Considering that they're Jewish Soldiers
0: and they've already killed 6 million Jews It's pretty necessary I mean, unnecessary It feels in fact spot that on actually they're, they're dead anyway right Like it's, it's Well that's the genius we talked about Both plots do not know About each other and either way If one true. doesn't go off it's going off yeah. regardless yeah. of what happens It's gonna happen like it's just like like whether the Nazis know it or not, they're getting fucked that night. That's yeah. just going to happen. You're getting fucked. That's all that's happening. Yeah. Number two. I guess I will lead off the number twos here. And mine is one of the most surprising deaths. Second to the first one I'll pick. But Marvin. Poor Marvin getting shot in the face. I learned at an early age that you better have an opinion. Don't not have an opinion, because when you don't have an opinion on something, you accidentally get shot in the face in the back of a car. So poor Marvin getting his head blown off in one of the greatest moments. And as I said on it, I think Ian, you and I talked about it, because you were on that episode, if you get a chance to watch it again, watch Samuel Jackson's reaction. Great reaction to all the shit hitting him. He was like, what the fuck? <laughs> he, just, he does such a great job of not knowing it's coming when he knows it's coming. Like, as the actor, he knows it's coming. It's, his reactions are just as good as John Travolta's. It sells it. It's a brilliant scene when poor Marvin gets shot in the face. That is my number two. Mr. Petsilovus, your number two death.
2: My number two death is say goodbye to Miss Laura when uh, Django. <laughs> Shoots her, and like the, <laughs> the the physics of the way he shoots her does not work. He kind of shoots her at one angle, and she kind of, yeah. He, he he shoots her like I don't yeah. She goes she goes, she goes straight sideways back. Yeah, she goes and straight like back. She doesn't even go straight back. She's just kind of, yeah. the way he shoots her, she goes at a different angle. So it's perfect. <laughs> just the kind of like, the wire work that went into that is just it's just perfect. I just love it. I just, it's kind of, then it becomes a kind of cartoon from that moment out. And just, oh yeah, that whole shootout yes. is amazing. But just that particular death. I thought <laughs> chess
3: kiss. Mr. Jones, your number deuce. Yeah, I ha- I hate to copy you, Scott, but it's definitely shooting Marvin Marvin in the face <laughs> for a number of reasons. One, um, it's just like you say, it just comes out of nowhere. But also is entirely you know you're resting a gun facing at someone's face it's it's probably not going to end particularly well so the fact that it comes out of nowhere is is great but then it also leads to like some really great bits of the movie that wouldn't necessarily have happened if you didn't shoot marvin in the face right so the the conversation directly afterwards is, is fantastic it's just a kind of a continuation <laughs> of some of the early stuff from like the the uh, big mac uh stuff and then you get we get winston wolf right we wouldn't have had winston wolf if uh, if marvin didn't get shot in the face so uh thank you marvin and we
2: wouldn't we wouldn't have those direct line adverts <laughs> no, no. I, I would never have bought insurance
4: <laughs> yeah because it's not on the insurance comparison
2: websites right
3: yeah. <laughs>
0: say what The great thing about Pulp Fiction is when you watch it as it's laid out, non-literally, you love John Travolta. You love Vincent Vega. As the movie goes, he becomes a bigger fucking douchebag, and you don't like him anymore by the time the end of the film. If you put it literally, he starts off as an asshole, has a character arc where he becomes a nice guy, and we like it with with Mia Wallace, and then gets killed (laughs) at the end, surprisingly, and we're upset about it. He has a whole different trajectory if you watch it in different ways. If you watch it the way it's made, you love him, and then you hate him. If you watch it the reverse, what an asshole. Oh my god, he had turn always oh, been killed it's unfortunate for mr vince, or vince or vega the way his story is told to us it's not fair to him mr harry's you're number two hey to copy you scott and graham but shooting <laughs> marvin the face <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i to, to
4: be honest i'm just gonna leave it at that everything you guys said it was a massive surprise the first time you watched it it's a fucking hilarious scene and it then leads on to what one of the which is weird, given it starts with someone being shot in the face, but one of the more lighthearted
0: sections of the movie. <laughs> is? <laughs> Which is how to properly clean up and dispose of a body. Yeah. Once head has been removed from body. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's great. I, I learned a lot. You, yeah, know? Like you need to buy the gourmet shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And we learned what Jimmy doesn't do, what signs are not in his yard. <laughs> we learned that. A, a scene that does not uh, last very well 30 years down the road. Number one. To close this out, Mr. syllabus your number one death.
2: It's Mr. Blonde getting shot in Reservoir Dogs just because, like, in the context of that movie, it's such a fucking shock. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you watch it for the first time, you're like, this guy's about to do some heinous shit. And then it's club, Like, it's like, he just he just gets <laughs> taken out by Mr. Orange. And it's like, whoa! Like, it's kind of, yeah. You, you, at that point, you think that Tim Roth's dead. And then, like, kind of goes out, and they'll say, "Yeah, you that could when it gets to the Mexican standoff again. These, these all could easily just roll into full scenes, and like, that's the thing. Like, I had the House of Blue Leaves, but it's like, what particular death in that? Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so I think, yeah, I think it's Mr. Blong, just because it's got such a impactful kind of." I don't know, it's violence as storytelling. as well? Do you know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of, it's, mm-hmm. That is the reveal. Like, that, that, that's what's kind of great about it.
3: Mr. Jones? Um, so I've gone with what I think is one of the most deserving deaths in the Tarantino-verse. And there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of revenge killings and whatnot in Tarantino's film. I think the biggest piece of shit in all of Tarantino's movies is the orderly in Kill Bill. And he gets his comeuppance Bad. with the death by door. And it's brilliant. Especially the bit that precedes that, where she basically chews his bottom lip off. So yeah, it's one of the most satisfying deaths, I think. Um, And also, you know, leads to the pussy wagon. So, um, yeah. (laughs) All good fun.
0: Who doesn't enjoy when a Three to five-year rape spree turns into a brutal mass killing, and then you get at the end a pussy wagon. I mean, that is Disney-esque right there. I'm just letting you know that's what <laughs> Disney built his whole empire on. Mr. Harry's, your number one death. So, I have also gone for one of the
4: most deserving and satisfying deaths in cinema. I've gone for Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you, like, <laughs> you picked you picked the entire third reich, and your number one was prefaced <laughs> with most destur- most deserving. Well he was it he just was really, a character. He just really felt like justice
1: was the <laughs> it, it, He was he had a,
3: there was a specific uh there's a specific like so hitler was too broad that's what you're hitler saying was, hitler was real <laughs> as well let's put it that way tarantino didn't write hitler this is fair this is true <laughs> and that's my Thank defense <laughs> and i'm sticking to it that's fair you're, no further you're questions aware,
4: yeah you're very aware that i'm not editing this like uh like normally would be
3: recorded. yeah
4: yeah that's fair uh but yeah uh hitler like talk about surprise fucking deaths <laughs> because, out of nowhere yeah yeah, spoilers, but Hitler actually died the year after. And it was a lot <laughs> less dramatic from the Six point. hours after getting married. There's probably no tie in there. Depending who you talk to, he died three decades later in Brazil. Like, you know, it, the, the jury's still out. But similar to what we said, like, the whole scene around it. <laughs> like, you, you could just keep going out. But I'm just going to go for Because I think when they did it, when when that scene went down, everyone kind of thought, okay, so what they're going to do is Hitler's going to have escaped. Or it's a double or that's how they'll get around it. And then, just to really hammer it home, there is a close-up of Hitler's <laughs> yes. face exploding.
1: Yes.
0: it's like, oh, no, Hitler is dead.
4: Hitler yes. is dead. Okay, yes.
0: cool. Yeah. Tarantino wanted to make sure you knew. I don't know if you've seen the yeah. interview, but he, when he was writing it, he was going back and forth and if he was actually going to have them kill Hitler. And... Before he went to bed, he wrote on a piece of paper on his alarm clock, stuck it to him, it, said, "Just kill Hitler." Put it there. Went to bed. So that if he slept it off, he woke up in the morning. The first thing he saw when he turned off his alarm it says, "Just kill Hitler." So that's how he forced himself to just say, "Fuck it, we're going revisionist history. We're killing off Hitler." That's, that would that would have been a hell of a title for the film. <laughs> just kill, It's not even a
4: title, just, just, just kill
3: Hitler. <laughs> it's very, it's yeah, very to the Winston point. Churchill did something similar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> something. He had a memoir like that, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Just call Hitler by Winnie Churchill. Winnie. My number one is the same as Mr. Petzalovus. It is Mr. Blonde. As you said, Petros, it is amazing use of violence as a storytelling. Not many reveals in anything come as dramatic as Mr. Blonde. He was my favorite character. When he first comes on screen, how can you not like him? And then even though he's about to do heinous shit, you're just kind of like, it taps into something about you. you go, I kind of want to see what happens with this lighting fire. Anyway, is he going to light him on fire? Like, how's this going to happen? And then he gets blown away. And first time I saw it, I was like, who the fuck shot him? I thought the cop got his arms free. Uh, like you said, I, Mr. Blonde, or Orange is laying on the side. He's bleeding out. There's no way he's the one who did it. And the camera does that pan, and he's sitting there. And then it's like, oh, shit, he's the rat. And... The movie changes on that pivotal scene. We now jump into something completely different, and I absolutely loved it. And Marvin's a surprising scene, but Mr. Blonde is probably the most pivotal of surprise deaths for me as it really does reveal all this mythology. We've been wondering, who's the rat? Could it be Mr. Blue? Because he's still not around. Who is it? And then there it is, Mr. Orange, who's been in our face the entire time. And
4: obviously, historically, Mr. Blonde died in 1945, so having him die... In the warehouse, was just a massive surprise. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, was, it was horrible. Well, Mr. Blonde, yeah. Yeah.
3: Mr. Blonde was was dyed because he was originally Mr. Brown. Bad guy, None of that. None of that. was, there was something there though, right? Ladies and gentlemen, if was, you want to check there out the though. podcast nobody asked for, try. feel free to
0: check it out. In the, <laughs> the link is below. Before <laughs> more hair dye jokes, please check out. Uh, well done, gentlemen Well done,
3: Marvin. What do you make of all this? Man, I don't even have an opinion. Well, you gotta have an opinion. I mean, do you think that God came down from heaven and stopped that? Oh, what the
5: fuck's happening in the house, man? Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? Well, I didn't mean to do it was an accident. Oh, man, I see some crazy ass shit in my time, but just. This... Chill out, man. I told you it was an accident. You probably. He went over a bump or hey, something. Hey, the car ain't hit no motherfucking bump. Hey, look, man, I didn't, I didn't mean to shoot the son of a bitch. The gun went off. I don't know why. Well, look
2: at this fucking mess, man. We're on a city street in broad daylight here. can't believe here. it, man. Well, believe it now, motherfucker. We
4: gotta
0: get this car off the road. You know cops tend to notice shit like you're
4: driving
1: a just car with this fucking a, blood. Just
0: take it
5: to a friendly place. That's all. This is the valley. Vincent Marcellus ain't got no friendly place in the valley. But you say my fucking town, man. Shit.
0: Top
1: three scenes.
0: All right, that brings us to our top five scenes, and uh, I probably have already shown my hand over the years doing this podcast for the year, so it's going to be one of those. But
2: you said top five. I thought you might want to. Sorry, top three. I apologize. I apologize.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yep. I'm 47, I'm old. I uh, was lucky I put on pants today. So our top three, We, you know what? We've decided to trim it right here on the air. We're going to trim it right here because this is a live broadcast. <laughs> We're going to trim it to three. Number three. I will start, since it's that way around the horn, and my number three is one of the most shocking scenes I can remember seeing, and that was Bring Out the Gimp. I got the, the privilege of seeing this in theaters as I'm much older than you. I was 18 years old when this movie came out. And when it did come out and we wake up our two characters and they've got ball gags in their mouth and this is pre-internet days. This is pretty shocking. If you're not in the BDSM circuit, you don't know what the hell's going on. You're not sure why two men are tied to a chair and have ball gags in their mouth. And then a creepy security guard says, bring out the Gimp. Gimp's sleeping. Okay, you have to go wake him up then, will not you? Had no fucking clue what was about to happen in my life. But this is the scene that I knew I was going to be... This is pretty sad. I'm going to be a Tarantino fan for the rest of my life because he was a person who didn't play by the rules, who was going to surprise you and shock you, and not just for shock's sake. It actually worked for the story. It made sense what was happening. And we should have known, even though we were enamored with the gold watch and holding things up their ass for dysentery reasons, that it was going to get a lot worse, that Mr. Butch was going to have to go through some shit to earn his gold watch. And so Bring Out the Gimp is that scene that really... Really shook me up early on And I don't know if you've heard it, but my daughter For the very first time she ever saw Pulp Fiction She was the next boyfriend, they're at Thanksgiving She walks into his parents' house And they're watching Pulp Fiction And this is the scene that is on the television (laughs) She has no context, and she texts me You're a sick fuck That's what she texts me And I respond, you haven't seen the whole movie You don't know the context She just thinks this is my favorite movie That it's just because of this weird scene with the gimp I was like, well, there's more movies to see Don't you judge me just yet (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm a sick fuck, but you should at least get the context of this. Is this how you discovered what a GIMP was? Was this like your introduction no, to GIMPs? Oh, yes. This, so this is my... Yeah, this is the introduction to all that stuff, because again... 94, the internet is just starting. Just starting. And for those of you who weren't around when the internet just started, it was the dark web. The internet did not start (laughs) off with Wikipedia and good Google searches. It started off with how can you free download music, free download porn? How can you find plans to kill people with things? It was the worst. (laughs) The internet opened up as the worst. And quickly they realized, we've got to do something about this. (laughs) So the internet has changed over the years. But yeah, there was no, unless you were into this world... You did not know what this was, and this was the first time you realized what this was. So, very shocking in 1994. In 2023, not as shocking anymore, as we talked about before anyone knew we were recording. Apparently, people on the British TV shows jerk off pigs for something, and so makes the gimp scene seem pretty pretty tame. But that was my number three. Mr. Petsyllabus, your number three.
2: My number three scene is the whole pickup scene in Jackie Brown, so like the kind of ex- the money exchange not only is it for for like a narrative movie, for for a linear movie of Tarantino's, obviously everyone expecting him to do like non-linear stuff that he'd done uh, before, he still kind of like goes back into that and does like an exchange done through three different perspectives. And it's just like, it's like a little puzzle box. Each time you go through, you learn a new little thing. And like kind of when you revisit the film as well, you're trying to piece out where all the characters are at one moment and stuff like that. I just think it's kind of, It's a kind of perfectly put together, like, do you know what I mean? Like, watch of a a moment. Everything's in its right place and kind of, I don't know, really flexing his muscle, what he can do with kind of editing and, um, I don't know, storytelling in that way of just kind of, uh, yeah, like messing around with perspective and stuff like that. It's it's, it's a a really fun scene and I've got, got a lot of time for it. That was the scene he put
0: his stamp on the film, that it was not just an Elmer Leonard adaptation. It was also a Tarantino version of an Elmer Leonard story. He said, all right, here's my little Rashomon version of this uh, exchange. And that's what separates it from the book. And that's why Elmer Leonard loved it as the best adaptation for any of his books. So,
3: Mr. Jones, you're number three. I am going to go with the uh, the overdose scene in Pulp Fiction. I think it's so well played out. You've got, I mean, it, it, there's obviously kind of the bulk of it that takes place at the... Uh, my mind is my mind is failing me today. But Eric Stoltz's house, yes. I can't remember his character's name. And uh, but you also have the kind of all the build up in the preamble before, like uh, Jack Rabbit's limbs and everything. So you know how high stakes this has become because you hear about uh, Tony Rocky Horror and all of the kind of stuff that's happened to him. You know that shit goes wrong with me a Shit is going to go down. Um, so there's like the tension, but then you have the resolution, and then also you have the breaking of the tension at the end when Rosanna Arquette's like that was fucking trippy. <laughs> and it's just it just kind of cuts through the whole thing. Um, and then even kind of a little bit later, you have the, you know, Neil Wallace finally telling the uh, Fox Force 5 joke as well. Um, so it just, it's a hell of a roller coaster and it's so well done. And I was reading, I was doing a bit of research on, these different scenes trying to pick stuff out. And someone made the good point that this kind of like a lot of stuff that Tarantino's has done over the years has been imitated or, you know, people have tried to do their own take on it. And there's not really anything that kind of um, compares to the, uh, to the overdose scene. Oh, and also the noise, the thump as well, when the needle goes in like that's, yeah. Yeah. It's great. I love pop fiction.
1: I
0: think Ian and I talked about it, but if you know about the scene in that scene, it's shot in reverse. So go watch it again and amazed at how the actors were able to act in reverse to give their expressions of it's already into it's not it really, really great piece of acting to be able to fool us as an audience to not realize that that's shot in reverse. Well done the on reverse me.
3: adrenaline shot sounds like a sex act as well doesn't it
0: It is but we won't get into it. That's, <laughs> that, that 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 happens if you are successful would make it rain it that's the next step that's the next yeah. level yeah. of the, it's the and reverse adrenaline need, shot you need yeah. a pig wasn't that kind of rhetorical i thought that was already in in the statement mr harry's what sex act that is a pulp is it a scene from a tarantino film is your favorite so basically you need to go up to the elbow and then what
4: you (laughs) do i'm i have gone backwards and forwards between my second and third pretty much since i wrote them down so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go for it and then forever regret my choices but for three which could have overlapped into kind of I mean, two of my three could have overlapped into the deaths, to be fair. But the uh, showdown at the House of Blue Leaves, the Crazy 88 fight, that whole section is fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. It is just a perfect... In lesser hands, it could have felt like a parody of 70s kung fu movies, but it is just a perfect homage to them all. And it, it is weirdly one of the best, like, that style kung fu since the 70s. Agreed. Which is wild. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a brilliant fucking action
0: set piece. It truly is. And the way it just, it, there's ebbs and flows in it. There's pauses. Even in Bruce Lee movies, he pretty much surrounded Kick some ass, move on. She starts to kick some ass, has to take a break, like she's getting her ass whooped, slows it down, puts a sword in the guy, spins him around to <laughs> slow the action down a bit. Like she takes human pauses to regain some strength and some, you know, yeah. some bravado to do it, as opposed to like Bruce Lee's like, and everyone's, you know, down, and then, all right, move on to the next fight where he really slows it down, ratches it up. Well done by yeah. him, yes. Brilliant scene. Number two. Our deuces. We'll start with Mr. Petros. Petros, your number deuce. It's the
2: bar scene from Inglorious Bastards. And it's what basically like the second act of the movie. Just like the whole kind of them going in playing the game, like just the kind of tension. And it it, it's a play out of the Hitchcock kind of playbook with the bomb under the table, Mm -hmm. right? We know we know as an audience that they're not actual Nazi officers and they're up against the Nazi officer and it's like, when is the other shoe going to drop and we're just going to when is chaos, like, are they going to get out or is chaos going to ensue and unfortunately oh no. protagonists, it happens to be that chaos ensues and everyone gets mowed down to fuck, but just, yeah, it's just such a, it's such a masterclass in tension and seeing Michael Fassbender kind of just wielding the German language with ease Obviously, as a kind of um, German-speaking Irishman. But, like, yeah, it's just its just perfect. It's just its just got so much going on. It's, it's funny, it's tense, it's dramatic, it's, I think it's scary in moments, do you know what I mean? You're kind of like, mm-hmm. and, then, and then it just kind of ends in a bloodbath. So it's, it's kind of everything I want in a movie, just distilled into one scene. I always
0: found it as Tarantino's commentary on why you should never give off autographs. They will come back to bite
3: you. <laughs> <laughs> Never get out an autograph, kids.
0: Mr. Jones, your number
3: two. Incredibly boring. The Bride versus the Crazy 88. <laughs> it is, it's again, yeah, it's so well choreographed. It's a lot of fun. It's incredibly gory. There's some really cool, like, um, foreshadowing bits in it as well. There's like where she does the eye gouge, and then obviously that happens later to, uh, to El Driver. And the soundtrack to it. Is really good uh, as well, and completely unrelated to anything Tarantino, but it also led me on to a uh, a YouTube channel called With Health Bars, where this guy has basically <laughs> taken loads of um like movie fights and added health bars to them, and it's just a, it's just a lot of fun. It has a hit counter, it has the the uh, the health gradually going down. Um So if you want to waste some time watching rewatching some great fights with health bars, um check it out.
0: Well, I will I, as soon as I, we're done, I'll probably do that. Mr. Harry's, you're number two.
4: Like I said, so originally my second was the the Crazy 88 fight, but I've dropped it down to third for the, and again, could have been a quote, but the entire you're a cantaloupe exchange from True Romance. The Sicilian scene. That whole scene is so good. People think Christopher Walken is in the entire film. Like, it's an incredible film, but that scene kind of, I don't want to say overshadows, but it is so good that I do think people think it's a bigger part of what it is, which is just a testament to how fucking good and rewatchable that scene is. And it's, and again, it, it's, would it be as good if it wasn't Christopher Walken? Probably not. Same with, obviously, not to dismiss Dennis Hopper or anything, but Christopher Walken <laughs> as, I've never really seen him as threatening. I've always seen him as, he's always been funny and goofy and like silly, scary. It's
3: because he looks like your dad.
4: Yeah. But, I've never seen him or my dad as, like, just threatening. And that scene was like, oh, fuck, Christopher Walken is a terrifying
0: human being. I would like to then also then uh, turn your eyes to Abel Ferrero's uh, King of New York from 1990, starring the great Christopher Walken. I think you will find that to be quite a movie with him being the head of a crime organization. A great young Lawrence Fishburne's in there. I think you'll I think you really enjoy that film. I was
4: going to say, I believe you recommended that when you came on ours to talk at length about Christopher Walken.
0: I think I did. Yeah. I, I think I did. It, but it's on the list. Since we're on my podcast, uh, I'm still waiting for full front. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> well, well, oh, I, can, I can go now. <laughs> Everybody, we're going to do the rain. Here we go. All right. uh, My number two is also the Sicilian scene. The Sicilian scene and this movie is why I got into Tarantino. It's how I found out about him. I bought the VHS. I've told the story a thousand times. It's set from the creator of Rushmore Dogs on it, and that was my journey. The Sicilian scene is amazing. It is one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history, and it really does show you how great a writer he is and then now when those of us who have read Cinema Speculation or if you've been part of it you start to learn where he got this from and a gentleman named Floyd is who I believe is a gentleman who told him this story even though he doesn't necessarily say it but at the end of his book where he kind of really talks about Floyd um, who's the gentleman who really kind of helps broaden his mind on cinema and was the first guy he could actually sit down and have Cinema Speculation where he could talk with and learn about film I think he's one of the gentlemen who gave him this scene and it is uh, it's a brilliant scene it's a brilliant scene from start to finish Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walker. In. They should have been nominated just for the scene, just for the scene. There are so many great them. moments in that movie. So, <laughs> just as you said, I love the Sicilian scene. I should have make sure I put down that the end part there. Otherwise, it's, otherwise it sounds like <laughs> another sex act. I too enjoyed the Sicilian, as you said, up to the elbows, gentlemen, up to the elbows. <laughs> you got to work them like a puppet. <laughs> Number one. Number one. I think a lot of us can have the same, but we'll find out. Jones, you're I, up first. I, I, I have a feeling we've all got the same one. There,
3: there's there's only one answer to this, right? It's the opening of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Uh, Petros has a look that maybe it's not his. So
0: I know the three of us, since we also did the Inglorious Bastards show together. Yeah. Yes, it is also mine, as yours is. Yes, I'm assuming, Mister Harrys. Yeah, if if it was if, if this was a top
4: three list of best scenes in movies in general, it would be a yeah. yes. top three <laughs> list yes. of movies. So yes. yeah,
0: it's there. Never has a glass of milk been scarier.
2: I've played a game here with like I'm just trying to make more content and <laughs> trying to find other ways to talk about other scenes going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can, like, I
2: can, I can. I'll
4: I'll, I'll, I'll pick another one as well. Just as like, uh, we'll, we'll then go to my fourth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For number one, I will pick the one that's the bottom, but we'll put it to number one. I like that. All yeah, right. So, can. if it wasn't the glass of milk scene or the opening of glorious badge, however you want to phrase it, what would it be, Mister Harrys? Since Mister Jones was the first one out the gate with it, uh, I would. Uh, I would sh- <laughs> fucking hell. One, uh, this is
4: this is actually really difficult. So my brain went straight to you know what? It might be the scene at the bar. Oh wait, no, we've already done that. That gets rid of the point of doing new content. So I'll just I'll just throw in with um, Tito and Tarantula doing it after dark and from Dustal dawn. Oh, it's a great fucking scene. The dance,
0: yeah. The
4: whole, I mean, who doesn't enjoy a good toe sucking? It's a great scene. Great scene. Uh, Writes himself into it. Oh uh, yes, he does. Know, fair play to him. Yes, yeah, fair but, play. Yeah, why not? Let's throw that in there instead of the best scene of all time. (laughs) All
0: right, I will jump in the same. If I had to pick a different scene and that would get into the top four, I guess now, it would be something that Graham talked about for his favorite quotes. It would be Jules Winfield telling Pumpkin what he thought. Ezekiel twenty five seventeen always meant until the events of that day changed his mind. When you see the scene the first time, Ezekiel 25, you're like, as he says, that's some cold-ass shit to say to a motherfucker before you pop a cap in their ass. But then when he sits there and calmly introspects himself about how he has been wrong this whole time, and he's really a piece of shit, and he's, but he's trying real hard, Ringo. I'm trying real hard. It's a great way to, not just diffuse, but you're kind of like, oh, fuck. Like, even as a human being, you go, I gotta start looking at myself in a different life. Maybe I'm not as cool or as Tough as I think I am. Maybe I'm a piece of shit. So that would definitely be the replacement for me not saying the glass of milk scene. And since Petros is so awesome, because he's the podfather. Podfather. The fucking glass of milk scene. Yeah. <laughs>
2: After all
0: that. Podfather, what is your number one that you came up with?
2: It's the opening to Inglorious Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not,
1: it's not, it's not.
2: It's the, it's the Jackrabbit slim scene, just because oh, right yeah. Now. Yep. I think well that is like the ultimate, like cooler than cool scene. It's just kind of like, when you see that, because I imagine for a lot of people like, it, Pulp Fiction would have been their first Tarantino movie, like unless you I don't know, unless you're like I actually, I actually <laughs> had, uh, I, I, I actually saw my uh, my, 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 my friend's birthday uh, uh, on, 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 on the black and white short he did before the first movie, uh, but I think for most people, like Pulp Fiction, was the entry point, and I think it's at that moment you go, "This is fucking cool!" Like I want to live in that world that he's created, in a way, not with the murders and the kind of killings and the. Do you know what I mean you touch? Well, we're already feet. in that world. That already, that world just that, came whether we
0: wanted it or not. It's still here.
2: Yeah, but like it's like you want to go there, and you want you want to be there. Do you know what I mean you want to? Go with, me, me, me and Ian recently tried our hardest to to live that. There is a bar in London that is like basically trying to get off of the Jackrabbit Slims vibe called True Romance. There's booths and you can get pizzas and cocktails and you can see famous people in there. Yeah, speak, speak,
4: speaking of trying to be cool in a fucking diner, Petros left. Ten minutes later, I'm sitting there with my fiance, and this might not mean, I don't know if this would mean anything to you, Scott, but Matt Berry
0: walked in. I know who Matt Berry is. Yes, I yeah. do. One of the greatest was, unique English voices ever. Oh, yes. He needs but to be I mean, in a Tarantino film with Christopher Walken. Really does. Can we make that happen? But he,
4: he, he walked in and... I stopped talking immediately and just sounded like I was having a stroke. And my partner proceeded to tell me, it's like, you really did not handle that well. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't, I just, I'm, I, he wouldn't have noticed. Sure, we were the only people there, but sure, fine. Did he okay. say anything? Did you get to hear him talk? At least order? Did get to see him, uh, hear him talk. He he laughs exactly the same as you would expect Matt Berry to laugh, which is a very creepy thing for me to have observed. And Can then
3: he a bloody voice over for the, oh, Jesus. God, you Absolutely fucking dropped the ball. Useless.
4: I know, right?
3: Uh, Shocking.
0: The crazy thing about the '90s in *Pulp Fiction* is that Jack Rabbit Slims was this close to becoming a reality. There was real talk after the popular movie of that becoming a themed restaurant, at least here in America, and it never went anywhere. And it. I'm still stunned that it didn't and I just wonder how much of the fallout from Planet Hollywood with all the famous people who threw their money into that ring to try to keep up with Hard Rock Cafe kind of thing and how that really didn't succeed. I wonder if that had anything to do with the failure of this or how do you keep Jack Rabbit Slim's I mean now we're 30 years down the road is the 50s element of Jackrabbit Slims even still relevant today? Would it be 80s in Jackrabbit Slims? Would it still have the cool vibe? So maybe they were smart not to do Jackrabbit Slims, but I still really, really, really badly wish they had done a Jackrabbit Slims.
3: I remember being gutted when I found out it wasn't real. I was like, I'm going to go there one day. Yeah, well, I can just you... imagine you watching it as like an eight-year-old. Yeah. I'm gonna go there one day. <laughs> imagine being an eighteen-year-old
0: being told they're making yeah. one, and here I am now being forty-seven yeah. now, and it's yeah. not still a reality. Thirty years has been, it's been just pushed in my face that it's not real. Every time I watch that movie, I look, I always look at someone, I go, "Why the fuck isn't this a real place? We yeah. have all kinds of things. How is this not a real thing?
3: And now we're all rectangles. <laughs> <laughs> Well played, sir.
0: Well played.
4: That was a a very visual joke. It was a very visual joke.
0: And (laughs) also, you made rectangles very depressing at the very same moment. You really turned that whole fun, don't be a square thing into a very depressing moment. We're all gonna have to have therapy after your little quip. Thank you, sir. Thanks, bro.
5: Now, if one were to determine what attribute the German people share with a beast, it would be the cunning and the predatory instinct of a hawk. But if one were to determine what attributes the Jews share with the beast, it would be that of the rat. The Führer and Goebbels propaganda have said pretty much the same thing. But where our conclusions differ is I don't consider the comparison an insult. Consider for a moment the world a rat lives in. It's a hostile world indeed. If a rat were to scamper through your front door, right now, would you greet it with hostility? I suppose I would. Has a rat ever done anything to you to create this animosity you feel toward them? Rats spread diseases they bite people. Rats were the cause of the bubonic plague, but that's some time ago. I propose to you any disease a rat could spread, a squirrel could equally carry. Would you agree? Why? Yet, I assume you don't share the same animosity with squirrels that you do with rats, do you? No. Yet, they're both rodents, are they not? And, except for the tail, they even rather look alike, don't they?
1: It's an interesting thought, Herr Ah,
5: However interesting as the thought may be, it makes not one bit of difference to how you feel. If a rat were to walk in here right now, as I'm talking... Would you greet it with a source of your delicious milk? Probably not. Hmm. I didn't think so. You don't like them. You don't really know why you don't like them. All you know is you find them repulsive. Consequently, a German soldier conducts a search of a house suspected of hiding Jews. Where does the hawk look? He looks in the barn, he looks in the attic, he looks in the cellar, he looks everywhere he would hide, for there's so many places it wouldn't have occurred to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führers brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me, because I'm aware of what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity.
0: Films. Well, we're back to Petros to start this off as we're on our last of the top three lists. Number three, and it's the one that we all need to talk about. It's our three favorite Tarantino verse. As I was asked today, which was a well played thing by Mister Harrys. What are we considering? If Tarantino wrote it, it's the Tarantino verse, in my opinion. Well, I know we know some movies that he's also script doctored on, but if he actually wrote it and put his name on it. Then it counts. So, those are 12 films. The 12 films I covered last year. His nine, he's directed. You want to throw out Kill Bill 1 and 2, Is whatever, whatever floats your by. I don't give a fuck. True Romance, Natural and Killers, and from Russell Don't Jump in there. So, our top three Tarantino films, and we will start with Petros with his number three.
2: It's True Romance, just because I think, like, Tony Scott managed to capture like tarantino's voice perfectly like it feels like a tarantino movie and it's got the bombast of a tony scott movie which i enjoy i imagine tarantino would have done things differently i know that he probably would have messed around with the structure of the movie like he's talked about in interviews and on the commentary track he kind of says in his script it kind of jumps about it's non-linear and stuff like that i think tony scott managed to nail it and kind of it's really fun and exciting and i don't think we would have in tarantino's one got the whole roller coaster sequence if he had done it and i don't think he would have got the budget and like that's the thing as well at that time we probably without true romance we wouldn't have got tarantino as a director at all potentially do you know what I mean or like to the yeah. of budgets he was getting so i think Two prongs. Personally, I really enjoy it. And just kind of like looking at it kind of wide, Jumming you know, from a bird's eye view of Tarantino's career. It's kind of the piece of the puzzle that if it's not there, then you know I mean the whole thing doesn't come together. So yeah, it's just great. As it's, it's 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 so cool. It's a really fucking cool movie. And that that's the thing. And it's uh yeah, there's a bit of like kind of male fantasy bullshit with Clarence and stuff like that, but the whole film is basically a fairy tale as well, and it's like, that's what I want for a movie. I want something that is a violent, self-knowing fairy tale that is just kind of fun and... Dark in places. Do you know what I mean? That whole that whole sequence of Alabama and James gandalfini's character is just like, ugh, do you know what I mean? So visceral and gnarly, and just yeah. And it's 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 just so great. Like it's got it's got some actors absolutely loving it. Christian Slater mentioned Dennis Hopper and um, Christopher Walken kind of like really, really show up for, you know what I mean? Like we're living in a time where like Judd Hirsch comes in and gets a, a, a supporting actor nomination in the Oscars for literally being in a film for like seven minutes. And it's like <laughs> These guys are in it for, like, 10, 15 minutes and really kind of, like, make their case to, like, steal the whole fucking movie with the kind of balls they're playing. And you even forget the fact that Christopher Walker does not look Italian whatsoever, but you're like, I don't give a fuck. You say that to him. You tell him that (laughs) at that time. (laughs) I'll say that to him now. Do you know what I mean? I reckon I could push him You also forget that
0: James Gandolfini, that's uh, pre-Soprano days, and Brad Pitt pre-his meteoric rise, so... Yeah, it's a it's the one. It's the one. Mr. Jones, your number 3.
3: Number three, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, it's it's one of the heavy hitters. It's a great movie. It's even more insane when you consider how little it was made for. It was like 1.2 million or something. You've got a cast that is absolutely bursting with talent. It's got a phenomenal soundtrack. And also, it is the greatest heist movie ever made and you don't even see the heist. I mean, it, it, it's, it's Tarantino's genius, right? It's just thinking of the subject in a completely different way. I think, yeah, one of the first times I think I've seen a something just taken from that complete you know swinging the camera around the other way and looking at looking at everything else about the heist but not the heist and actually that's the more interesting shit right all of the stuff that's going on all the dynamics between people and also probably one of my first introductions to really enjoying Tarantino's dialogue and I know there's a lot of really good stuff in pulp fiction which I had seen before but like the tipping scene at the beginning I mean it's just it's brilliant and you could really have the film without it but it's so good and just is a really great introduction to these characters and kind of um, yeah where where this is potentially potentially going to go, but yeah, so good,
4: love it. I think the dialogue really comes out because it's basically a play. Yeah, like yep. because it was written to be in one place. The dialogue has to be good, otherwise. It's going to be awful. So I, I think I think it definitely kind of comes out a lot more there. Cause it's but
3: then the I think he's there. He, he's carried it oh, through, yeah, though, right? Yeah, like oh, it's Become the mainstay of, of yeah. Terrence. But yeah,
2: you saying it be written. Yeah, you say it's written like a play. I love the bit of trivia that uh, Michael Fassbender, like early in his like early in his kind of acting career, did a stage adaptation or like must really. Like, actually, of reservoir dogs I like <laughs> some for Tarantino. So when Tarantino asked him to be in Inglorious Bastards, like, ah, oh, of course. I've I, I I I've been training the boards being Mr. Blonde or, or <laughs> You just wanted to
1: get
3: the accent. He did He that did. Whole... No, no, no. Yeah. I just love that. I love that
2: piece of trivia. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get a bit Irish. and you know, let's, let's defend some
3: people. Petros's pitch for Banshees of Innishirin, too. <laughs>
2: hey, hey, hey. hey, get me a donkey. Where the fuck are <laughs> you? Let's be honest. I'd I'd, I'd be the Barry Keogh character. <laughs> The doofus, the town doofus. But the other the other
0: genius of the tipping scene is it's where it also tips the hat to who uh, the actual rat is without us ever really paying attention to it because without the tipping scene, we don't get Mr. Orange ratting out Mr. Pink from being the one who didn't tip, which is Tarantino's way of subtly nodding to who the rat's going to be coming up. And then he throws us off the scent of it immediately when we see him bleeding to death in the back of a car and go, well, a guy getting shot in the back of the car can't be the rat, so it can't be him. He's been doing it forever, folks. Forever. Mr. Harry's your number three. Cool. I am going a bit left field with this, because
4: I've also I've interpreted this as well as best and enjoyable. Can sometimes yeah, whatever be works for you. slightly different. So I wanted to go for one which I have probably watched the most. It's Crazy rewatchable, it's stupidly fun, and it is from Dustal Till Door*. Love it. Like, arguably, out of all of Tarantino's films, I have seen that the most, because it is just a fucking brilliant B-movie. Similar to kind of, similar to True Romance. But I think it also <laughs> helps that um, it's directed by Robert Rodriguez, so I think it's kind of the perfect Tarantino script for Robert Rodriguez as well, yes. And I think they really bring the best out of each other in kind of that respect, and it also has possibly the greatest like left turn in arguably movie history, <laughs> where it suddenly becomes a vampire movie, and I can't, I can't stress how because it's. Again, like, you know, we're all, we're four nerds on a Tarantino podcast. We all know it's a vampire movie, but I've watched it with someone who didn't. And it was, it's up there with watching Mandy with Graham at seven in the morning after an all night marathon. And he'd never watched it before for cinematic, like movies in cinema, like actual cinema going kind of experiences that I enjoyed. And yeah, I mean, as with everything Tarantino does, the cast is great. The soundtrack is great It's
0: crazy quotable There's stupid action set pieces in it It's just fucking brilliant Yeah, and he does it without any hint There's no Mm. fucking hint There's not even a foreshadowing That we're going to get vampires in this fucking film No foreshadowing We get the pussy speech They go in There's some violence We're like, they're not going to make it out of here Well, they're going to probably get into some scuffles With some of these guys We get the gorgeous toe-sucking dance scene And we're like, this is just keeps going better and better And then the next thing you know Fucking Cheech Mary turns into a vampire And you're like, what the fuck? And then from there it's Vampire Central I mean it's... it's not as good as Twilight But I mean what is You know what I mean As far oh, yeah, as obviously, movies, I mean, obviously, You're not yeah. gonna meet there So but. My number three Is my number two If it's just Tarantino Directed films But in the Tarantino verse, It's my number three And it is the entirety Of Kill Bill Cheetah. What's that? <laughs> now, feels like cheating bro <laughs> Why does it feel like Gene? That is. that is. Regardless, they're both. I know people like to split them. I like them both what they are. I love Kill Bill Volume 1 for what it is. I love Kill Bill Volume 2 for what it is. I love the Eastern, Western vibes that they each have. I no longer watch one without the other. If I'm watching Volume 1, I've saved enough time to get right into Volume 2. I Go the whole bloody affair way if I can. And I absolutely, absolutely. love it. I just we'll love it. I love it. It's his birthday. We'll give it to you. We'll let <laughs> you do it. He did and look, the man himself has said it's one <laughs> film. Now look, have I also uh jumped in and uh added extra episodes because they released it twice? Absolutely. I mean come on. I'm a fucking whore. You're I'm not gonna pretend about. It. You know it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm taking <laughs> taking that cake and I'm eating it because I hope it goes tits up, you know what I mean? So <laughs> number two. All right, so that will move us to our number twos, and that means we will once again move it down, in my view, to Mr. Jones. Your number two, sir, of the Tarantino films.
3: My number two um, is Inglourious Bastards. Actually, uh, well, I think it might, it's probably up there with my most watched Tarantino films, but I just think it's got so many great set pieces in it, and I'm, it's got the best character in all of Tarantino. Movies ever, which is Adlander. and pro- probably my favorite in all of um, in all of cinema, to be honest. And as we spoke about before, the opening scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in cinema as well. So it feels hard to not um, have this in my top three. And I do like the kind of you know the kicking off of this revisionist history route that he's gone down because it just seems like a lot of fun. Um, and not many people have got the balls to do it. So um, yeah, Glorious Bastards*. Brad Pitt's fantastic as well, isn't he? <laughs> yes.
0: So he's collecting scalps for his number two, Mr. Harry's. Your number two. Uh, so, fun fact,
4: before I, I came into this episode was Reservoir Dogs written as my number three. And just before going through it, I changed from Dust till Dawn, which is lucky because I now think Graham and I would have had the same top three list because my number two is also <laughs> Glorious Bastards, <laughs> for, for, for the same reasons. It involves two, I would say, of the best kind of scenes in movie history in the bar and then the introduction, which is just closing in on kind of as close to flawless as you can really get. The soundtrack is insane. Yeah, again, everything everything and more, right? It's just a fucking brilliant film. The fact as well that a lot of it is for a lot of other people it would have all been entirely in English. And I think that also kind of adds a lot. And arguably if it was entirely in English, there would have been no need to get Christoph Waltz in. We might not have had kind of (laughs) you know Django off the back of that, or Hans Lander, or it, it's just, yeah, it's just a fucking brilliant film. And then again, what? it's weird to say it's a twist that Hitler died, but <laughs> nobody, was, <laughs> nobody was expecting that fucking ending. The twist is how early it was, yeah. it was just quicker. It's like, the, it's like the Titanic blowing up in Portsmouth at the
3: beginning of that movie, right? It's just, uh, yeah. we knew it was going to happen, but not then. not entirely sure the Titanic ever blew up, just, just to be like it sank, it didn't blow up. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking of Avatar, aren't I? <laughs> potato, potato, <laughs> potato potato potato. Same thing.
1: Iceberg
0: fireberg you know, same thing. My number two is true romance. It is my gateway. I'm wearing the shirt. I absolutely fucking love true romance. If it wasn't for true romance, I don't know that I'd ever have gotten into Tarantino. If it hadn't been for Christian Slater, being the heartthrob he was in the 90s, my 17-year-old girlfriend at the time, I was also 17, I'm not Leonardo DiCaprio, my girlfriend at the time, we went to see it solely because of the name of the movie and because of who was starring in it. And let me tell you who was surprised at how much they liked it and who was surprised at how much they didn't (laughs) like it. Because, wow, talk about what you think is going to be a rom-com, really turning on you. And ever since then, it's been my journey for 30 years because of it. Because it came out 30 years. This September. So for me, number two is true romance and I will now pass it to Mr. Petros for his number two.
2: My number two is probably gonna be uh I imagine some people's number one, but it is pulp fiction. Just because I don't Oh no, I'm not I'm not justifying why it's number two over, over number one. I'm just saying like why it is in the top three. It is uh, it's fantastic, right? It kind of it revolutionized filmmaking. in in the early 90s. I think obviously like the whole Sundance thing with Reservoir Dogs kind of really shook up things, but then this kind of solidified it. And I think it's arguable the reason that Forrest Gump is like the best-selling movie of that year is because so many kids bought tickets to Forrest Gump and snuck in to see (laughs) Pulp Fiction. That is is my theory and I'm sticking with it. That is why that film has got like the kind of like box office legacy that it has because there was a load of kids like me when I was I saw this at like the age like 13 and was just kind of had my mind blown and was like whoa what is this like I love it like the kind of i had i had a massive i have a massive affinity for for the people in it i love john travolta despite despite his his personal gettings on and his his kind of religious feelings uh, like i i i love him as an actor bruce willis like not many people know this but he's one of the reasons that my son's middle name is bruce uh there's kind of um a triumphant of, of people, it's Springsteen, uh, Campbell, and Willis uh, are the reasons <laughs> that, that is. That is- Middle name is Bruce, and yeah, it is, it is just Pulp Fiction. Obviously, I, I have a, I have a strong feeling that this might be other people's number one, so I don't really want to <laughs> dive into it too much, because we're going to be hearing about it in a minute.
0: <laughs> the funny thing about what you said is my buddy, who is listening to this as we, not as we speak, but as they listen, Sean Wheeler has said the exact same thing, that he truly believes that the reason that that movie has as much box office clout as it does is because so many people bought tickets to that movie and went to Pulp Fiction instead you're not the only person I think it's interesting that two people from different sides of the globe have the same exact feeling I do like sorry Mr. Hanks I do do like that Forrest Gump sounds like a plot you'd make up
4: for a film you hadn't seen because you snuck into Pulp Fiction (laughs) so what was (laughs) hey Billy what was Forrest Gump about it's like so he met Elvis and (laughs) then John F. Kennedy after he went to Vietnam table tennis
0: I think table tennis, table yeah, tennis. I, yeah tennis. I think he did some kind of shrimping.
4: There we're we're shri- shrimp- there, there shrimping were, sounds about right. There were and then invested in app I saw Pulp Fiction, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny was a eight. cunt. <laughs> eight? Was it eight? <laughs> running? <laughs> and then he suddenly got robot legs.
0: Number one. That brings us to Mr. Harry's for his number one. And your number one is? My number one, and if Graham
4: wants to share with this one as well, it is Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. It's pulp. As is mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However,
0: it's because of the impact it truly had. As much as I love Reservoir and True Romance, fucking Pulp Fiction, man. And I look, it, I don't want to be like, ha-ha, but I have the hates that I got to see it. I was 18 years old. I just graduated from high school. It was in the fall of my first year of college, and it came out, and seeing that movie changed everything. I went down a different path. I went to film school because of this. I got into a bunch of stuff. I mean, this podcast is because of that. Pulp Fiction changed fucking everything. Everything for me. I absolutely fucking love that movie. Up until everything, everywhere, all at once came out, nothing else had blown my mind like Pulp Fiction. I've yeah. seen some, I mean, not to say there's not amazing movies, but you know, you have there are moments you see a movie, and I'm sure you have some of yours, where my top 10 movies are all about movies that have really affected me. Whether other people think they're great or not, doesn't matter. To me, I was like, wow. It just blew yeah. my mind or changed something. And really, the last time I had that kind of feeling was Pulp Fiction. And then I saw everything, everywhere, all oh, at once a year ago, and I was like, that was it. That became my number two. So my top two of all time is Pulp and Everything, and they're very close together because of how great I love both those films. So, well, I'm kind of both.
4: Both of those films are similar in that Pulp Fiction is so well written and layered. If anything, it is better the second time you watch it because there's a load of, again, you see it like um, John Travolta walk past at the very beginning. And you have no idea. And, you know, it can take two or three viewings to kind of pick up exactly where everything is and understand what's going. Like, I'm sure I can't remember what it was, but I'm sure when we recorded the episode on it i just picked up something from that view it was uh the reading of the line was different or something like that from the beginning yes and we talked
0: about why it was yeah
4: and it's uh, i hadn't noticed that before until that time so you're still it is such a layered and complex film without being alienatingly so which a lot some films Mm -hmm. like that can be and it's just great it's a perfect mix of it's funny the, the action stuff is brilliant the Every, everything is just
0: fucking great. Which is why I felt the same yeah. about everything everyone once. I get one to that film, not knowing what I was going to get, and now it's one of my barometers to see if you're a good human being or not. If there are certain sections you don't get teary-eyed or almost feel heartbroken, I don't want you around me anymore. I, I know that you're a sociopath, <laughs> and will probably try to wear my skin as a shirt. So... Mr. Petro, since you are the outlier, what is your number one Tarantino film of all time?
2: Well, I'll, I'll just read you my letterbox review for this film.
0: <laughs> perfect. I feel like this was what it was for, to sell his letterbox. Folks, you will find his letterbox in the comments below.
2: No, it just says, you know something, Tarantino? I think this might just be your masterpiece.
0: <laughs> Glorious bastard, ladies and gentlemen. Well played, sir. Well played. Yes, sir. Well played.
2: <laughs>
0: my best friend's birthday. <laughs> Suck it, Tarantino fans.
2: No, it's that it's what it's that one, it's that like lost one. What's that one from like nineteen eighty-three? Oh yeah, Love Birds in Bondage. That's that's my number one. <laughs> uh, even though nobody's ever seen it. Um no, it is it's Inglorious Bastards for for many reasons that have been spoken about, but I think like just personally, like just because of the age I am, and kind of just I don't know why I never saw Death Proof at the, at the cinema. I would I definitely would have been old enough to see to have seen that, but well, no, barely barely
4: I'm... barely showed. I think that's mm. why you didn't see it at the yes. cinema.
2: Inglorious Bastards was the first Tarantino film I was like old enough to see in the movie theater and just kind of being blown away by it. And it's the one I think that is wholly like. I don't, it's just so rewatchable and fun and inventive. And obviously it was like a new lease of life on his career as well. Like after Death Proof could have been like, he could have gone either way. Like that could have been him falling into the skids. Do you know what I mean? And like he could have said, like at that point, he could have said, I'm going to do 10 movies after Death Proof. And people would have gone, so what, mate? Yeah, like, like get them out as quick as you can. Yeah. We care. <laughs> Whereas like, after glorious bastards when he said like, if he said look i'm doing 10 movies it will be like they are now event cinema yeah. and they are kind of like point yeah they are cinema by appointment like i i went to see once upon a time in hollywood like in a packed outfit maybe like two weeks after it came out and like it's just kind of like that's the impact that tarantino's movies have and they're like discussion points but yeah in, in glorious i just think everything is kind of firing on all cylinders as we said it's got like one of his one of the one of the best scenes of all time with the glass of milk scene and then it's it's also got like it's a masterclass class intention throughout it like the whole the whole the whole conversation about the strudel and the kind of does hand has lander no does he not and like it just weaves in these different plot threads perfectly that you don't feel like i don't know there's all that all that talk about the fact that it would have been a tv series or like a mini series and it's yeah. like yeah you could say i wish I, i'd seen more of these characters but what you do get is the perfect amount for the story that's telling and by the end of it like last time I, I i re-watched it i was like got to the end i was like do you know what i could happily just go back to the beginning of this film watch it again and there's there's rarely films that I, I have that feeling with. Like and yeah, it's just it's just it's just a whole a whole lot of fun. So that's that that's why it's my number one. And I think, yeah, the personal aspect of the fact that like I saw it in a packed cinema, like on opening night, like with, with a good buddy of mine, and like absolutely was blown away by the audacity of it do you know what I mean I I, I love a film that is audacious like I'm kind of in like the the 40% who absolutely loved Babylon at this point like do you know what I mean it's like a film that is so audacious to go you know what history happened this way but fuck it we're going to be showing you some stuff that you might not have (laughs) seen before and it's like Tarantino's got the balls to do that Damien Chazelle's got the balls to do that and it's kind of like I'm gripped baby and what is it Tarantino's longest movie it's got to I'm be sure. uh,
0: Well, the longest full feature is actually the Hateful Eight roadshow goes over three hours. Uh
2: huh. So, so This think has to be like. like this like is up the, there, yeah. Yeah, this, this so and like, Jing are up there, yeah. And the fact that it's like super long and like it's got that thing of like you could happily just rewind it and start again
0: is because it doesn't feel long nothing about that movie feels minutes. long no. No, no 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 that opening scene is 20 minutes long and what it mean? does it doesn't feel like 20 minutes you know no. you're like holy shit
2: well and, and you forget to breathe in the open scene yes right? you, like, you kind of like you get to the moment you're like when was the last time i breathed because this is fucking so <laughs> intense. and like throughout it and it, may, it maybe speaks to my sensibilities i kind of love love that tension that push and pull in movies and it kind of yeah it, it, it really nails that and as I said like yeah one of my favorite scenes is the the the, the bar scene and stuff like that it's just it's, it's, it's a masterpiece
4: and glorious bastards is a minute shorter than pulp fiction wow really? wow yeah it's it, it, Inglorious Bastards is surprisingly middle of the pack. Like you've got, so Reservoir Dogs is 99 minutes. Yep, so sure. Kill Bill Volume 1 jumps up to 111. Death Proof is 127. Kill Bill Volume 2 is 137. Inglorious Bastards 153. Jackie Brown 154. Pulp Fiction 154. Once Upon a Time 161. Django 165. Hateful Eight 168. So they're all just, I think if you get that. That long, they're all just long. <laughs> <laughs> they're all just very long films. But at no point does it feel like it.
0: No. Come on,
1: let's get in the character.
2: I'm so interested in Big Man's life? Well, he's going out of town in Florida, and he asked me if I'd take care of the while
5: He's gone. Take care of me. No, man. Just make sure of a good time. make sure she don't get long. Enough. Girl, you see... This is a moral test of oneself.
1: I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. You can maintain loyalty. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. Pride only hurts. It never helps. In the fifth,
5: your ass goes down. I have to say, play with matches you get burned.
2: We should have fat guys for this kind of a deal. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? I'm prepared to scar the earth for that.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Get down, get down.
2: You got a corpse in a get car, down. minus a head in the garage. Take me to it.
5: Don't you hate that? Hate what? comfortable silences.
2: John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Medeiros, Bing Rings, Eric Stoltz, Rosanna Arquette, Christopher
5: Walker, and Bruce Willis. Looking at something for him. my friend. my friend,
1: Luca. Die, you mother!
2: <laughs> A new film directed by Quentin Tarantino. Are you really thinking about quitting? Most
5: definitely. What's you gonna do then? Basically, I'm just gonna walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kame in Kung Fu. <laughs> all
0: right, so we will close out this episode with giving each of you your chance to do your, as you know in Britain, all about Mount Rushmore here in America. You get to pick the four characters in the Tarantino-verse that would make your Mount Rushmore. To be fair, I will go first since no one really gives a shit about hearing from me. They want to hear from you. So I'll go first. We'll go to Petros. We'll go to Graham. We'll go to Ian. My four characters that make the Tarantino Mount Rushmore are Hans Landa, Calvin Candy, Mr. Blonde, and The Bride. Those are my four characters I feel are the most important, and it was tough to pick just those four, but I feel they are the four most important characters of his universe. At least the most recognizable as well. Just just for Hans being one of the worst villains along with Calvin, Mr. Blonde being the first real cool character, and the bride being maybe his greatest hero. So, Petros, who makes your British Mount Rushmore of characters in the Tarantino
2: verse? I think the equivalent we would have of Mount Rushmore is who is on our who, who is on our money, right? Who is on our? Who's on our five, ten, twenty, and fifty pounds? Are up. you saying you don't have yeah, any mountains
0: yeah. in? <laughs> Not really. If you so. could rename the four parts of the of the UK, right? Don't you have uh, England, uh, Wales, Northern, and regular Ireland? Right? Is that the regular four? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> regular Ireland.
1: <Nice. laughs> regular Ireland. I'm yeah, just that's, messing. That's, that's that's gonna gonna go down I'm to kidding. Northern Ireland, Ireland,
0: Wales, and, Ireland, 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 yeah. Wales,
4: <laughs> a- and Britain, right? Scotland.
0: Oh, shit, God, Damn it. England, yeah. uh, England, Scotland. And Wales. All right. All right. Well, yeah. whatever, fine. Anywho, much so, Rushmore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that I've completely got rid of the rest of my fans.
2: So we're going to go Hans Lander. Again, it's, it, it, no more needs to be said. Uh, I've gone for these like, quite personal. Butch from Pulp Fiction. Just got to love him. Uh Bittrex Kiddo, aka the Bride from Kill Bill, and a personal favorite of mine throughout the Tarantino verse, gonna think he's real funny, is Nice Guy Eddie from ah, Reservoir nice Dogs. Gotta love nice. nice Guy
0: Eddie. Rest in peace, Mr. Chris Penn. Mr. Graham Jones. Give uh, us your tough, your four on the on the on the face of a mountain that you could give two shits about, but Nicolas Cage will go into excavate to find some gold.
3: Yeah, this this is my my Tarantino Stonehenge. So I'm I've, I've, I've there's a crossover here. So it's it's characters who I think are should be there, but also the layer I've added to it is actors or actresses who have had a lot of influence throughout multiple Tarantino films. So right. Jules Winfield, Hans Landa, The Bride, Bitch Kiddo, and Mr. White.
0: Well said. Well said. Mr. Harry's going last in this. You get to have the last statement of your Mount Rushmore, Stonehenge, whatever.
4: Yeah, so kind of mine is a mix of,
0: so just
4: characters that need to be immortalized. So I think as with everyone, Hans Landers on there, uh Jules Winfield's on there. Um, I was leaning more towards, I have a lot of time for Oren Ishii, the Lucy Liu character in Kill Bill. I, I think as, uh again, that whole kung fu section in volume one i think it's just fucking brilliant and she's got some incredible scenes in it and i don't think she necessarily gets the the acclaim she deserves so i think she deserves to be uh etched into the side of uh, a mountain uh graham other... it looks like you had something to say i did just
3: the other <laughs> thing about her er- er- is that the the going out of regular live action into that yes anime yeah sequence was it blew my mind it was the first time i ever seen anything like that and it right. absolutely blew my mind and blew the mind of that guy in the car hey.
0: <laughs> well played
3: <laughs>
4: but, but yeah it, it's for, for a film that gets a lot of credit for a strong female hero i think it needs equal credit for kind of strong female uh, female uh villains as well um and then for my fourth choice uh, because everybody always forgets the fourth, fourth person on Mount Rushmore, I thought I'd go for a character that people always forget, but that I just really like, and that is Drexel from uh, True yes. Romance. <laughs> Gary, Gary Oldman. Any other? If Christopher Walken wasn't in that film, Gary Oldman would have been the person everyone was talking about. That, that it just—it's just—it just its just it just
0: was not white boy crazy. day. It just yeah. wasn't white boy yeah. day. <laughs> That's all it was. Just wasn't. What are you going to
3: do? It happens. It happens. Even given Mount Rushmore is obviously famously heads, it would have been quite funny to put Marvin on there as well. <laughs> well, he is on there because he need the space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen,
0: I can't thank you enough for joining me to celebrate Tarantino's 60th birthday, even though we had nothing to say about his actual birthday or that he turned 60. But it was fun to chat with the three of you about this. Any last remarks you have as we say happy birthday to QT on his 60th, and hopefully he has a fucking movie before he turns 65. Anything you have to say, Mr. Pet Syllabus. Any wishes you want to give him?
2: Quentin, I know you're listening to this. I know, I know, I know as much as you try and say that you're a technophobe and you don't like the internet, I know you're listening to this. I just want to say to you, I love the fact that you're out there just spreading your kink you love them feet and you're just out (laughs) showing it to the world even if you don't know it you might not know that it's a kink but i just love the fact that you're out here just showing us that that's what you're into and i think that's a, a very freeing and open thing for you to do and it's beautiful and may you carry on may may your final film be a a film just do you know what sideline the characters just have it entirely feet. That's all I want. I don't want to see any of the characters' faces. I just want it to be, like, from the knee down. That's all I want to see of those characters. Just keep on living in the feet world, my friend. Happy 60th.
4: That was done in the tone of the <laughs> it's not your fault scene for
0: Good for
4: Hunting.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that truly was a feat, Mr. Syllabus Nice. nice, Mr. Jones. <laughs> King of the puns, um,
3: who's through yeah. the field here today.
0: What is your final retort on his 60th birthday? What well wishes would you like to give Mr. QT?
3: So we all know, you know, that Mr. QT is re- renowned and um, revered as one of the biggest cinephiles in history. And I can only imagine that on his 60th birthday, he's probably going to sit down on the sofa. He's going to have a scroll through Netflix. He's going to put a film on and I would just like to recommend the film for to watch. And um, I don't know, Mr. Tarantino, if you have enjoyed uh, any folk horror classics, but get Midsummer on. It's fantastic. Ariasta's brilliant. You guys should have a chat. Um, get Florence Pugh in your next movie. Yeah, let us know what you think.
0: We have done a Tarantino thing there, folks. We have brought things of an element from outside and brought it into the tarantino For more Midsummer recommendations, please check out the podcast nobody asked for on a weekly basis. These cocksuckers, every time they don't do an episode, I think we're not going to be on the same schedule. Lo and behold, the Tuesday before my episode's drop. they find a way to get right back into cycle. Sons of bitches. Mr. Harrys, close us out with your birthday wishes to Tarantino and Midsummer somehow.
4: So, Quentin, Quentin, if you're listening, I I assume you are. You obviously know a lot about cinema. I think more than, I think it's like him and Edgar Wright and then everyone else. Like, I I think Quentin, you know, I'm I'm talking to him. I've got to get my, my, my stuff right. Quentin, you have forgotten more about films than I think a lot of us will ever know. But did you know that for as little as £2.50 a month, you can sign up to our Patreon and get access to bonus episodes on a monthly basis. You can also get mugs, T-shirts, access to a spreadsheet that has all of our top three lists on, possibly even these. (laughs) Why the fuck not? And then just other shit. You know, we do things. Do you like French Bulldogs? We can Photoshop a picture of Graham's French Bulldog into movie posters that you like, because we give a shit. Happy birthday.
0: And that's a wrap on our very special Tarantino 60th birthday celebration. I would once again like to thank my special guests, Mr. Ian Harris and Mr. Graham Jones of the podcast Nobody Asked For, and Mr. Petro Spatsilovas from the Dan Coppola Connections podcast for helping me celebrate the 60th birthday of our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino. Now be sure to check out the Tarantino Jeopardy game my guests played. The link to that video can be found in the show notes, where you can also find the links to all of my guests' socials and podcasts. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials. Those links can be found in the show notes as well. Now, if you would be so kind and take a moment to like, review, subscribe, and follow us, the Church would greatly appreciate it, and it will help more Tarantino fans like yourselves find the podcast. So I hope you'll join me again April 7th as my Cheeky Bastards co-host Steve Smith joins me once again as we take a look at two films that helped inspire the Tarantino-written and Rodriguez-directed vampire crime film From Dusk Till Dawn, with those films being Assault on Precinct 13, and the desperate hours. So until then, I'm the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always.